Friends and fellow Pufuanians, it is with a sad heart that I am dedicating this episode to Pluto, Kismet's furry friend who passed away unexpectedly last night. I know that she's in need of all of our love and hugs, and I hope that you will pass them on to her. Kelly, I'm here for you. I know what you're going through, and if there's anything I can do, you just let me know. When are you going to get your own bakery? When am I going to get my own bakery? I can't even microwave things without breaking. I mean, not you, but like you as a couple. Well, it's probably going to be hers. It's not going to be like the family bakery. But you get to eat your own cupcakes. She cut me off. <laughs> She's concerned for my weight. She cut me off. Tonight we're in the supermarket. I'm like, you haven't made cookies in a while. You cut me off. Then you, she bows her head. She's like, yeah, I did. So I'm very depressed. <laughs> Because I want C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. Cookie, cookie, cookie starts with C. I'm very depressed. We're very depressed. We are very depressed, but you know what? It could be worse. We could be Neville. Episode 84 in the Gen 2 sex scene. My favorite part is at the part at the end where I'm like, I wonder if I should call her on her cell phone. She might answer. You know what? It's like, you going to do it? I'm afraid. She might answer. It'll ruin her 15th anniversary. You know what the scary part was? What's that? I probably would have answered. You probably would have. <laughs> Sometimes you send me, you know, text on my cell phone, and I read them, and I roll my eyes, and I'm like, ugh, Ryan. And then I just close my cell phone back, I laugh, and I just take it back. I can know she's not the only one who does. <laughs> I feel so lucked well, out, I never get Ryan texting. <laughs> well, I get my calls, and my calls are so much better. It's like I'm scaling up the side of a mountain. My calls to ask me what farm equipment is most popular in Oklahoma. <laughs> why? 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 Has everyone here finished the story? Yep. Mike, have you finished the story? Not quite. Okay. Mike, I need you to take your headset off for a minute. I'll go ahead and spoil me. I don't mind. No, I'm not going to spoil you. I need you to put fingers in your ears. Don't listen. Like, I didn't, you take your headset off. Count to 30, put it back on. I don't want to spoil it. Sure, go for it. All right, say when. Go for it. Okay. You're, you're still here, though, aren't you? Yeah, but I was humoring you. <laughs> Mike, I don't want to spoil it for you because it's traumatizing. I want Cut him to... off. Stay off with him. Yeah, bring him on hold. <laughs> no, I'm here, in totally. charge of this conference call. <laughs> no, totally, totally, because you know that he's going to stay. No. It's just like if we leave it in the podcast, there are going to be people. We can go, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you don't want to listen to what Ryan has to say, stop now. <laughs> Take your headphones off. I love that on Pottercast where they just had Sue chant, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. When Deathly Hallows came out, I thought there would be a lot more death. But then they also don't tell you what happens to everybody, so you kind of assume that everyone else lives. The battle was so good at the end. You know, it, it's a good use of the secondary cat mics like it's been three minutes. Hello? He's totally listening. He's just being quiet. I'm waiting for him. I'm w- oh, you did? I, I, put my I was totally waiting for him to giggle. <laughs> but then when <laughs> you killed the. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'm bringing Mike back. And that was the point when I just said to myself, "Harry McGonagall doesn't work." Who says? I oh my God. Sorry, you haven't finished the story. My apologies. I was sort of thick. It was a. Uh... Harry goes back in time, and him and Minerva get a thing going on. Mike, where do you find this shit? Mike, have you been hanging out of adultfanfiction.net again? No, I don't even know. I didn't even know that existed, actually. Disgusting. Stop talking. Stop talking now. I don't know. I've never seen a picture of Rilke. You've never seen a picture of me? Or No. Only host I've seen pictures of. How can you have not seen a picture of me? 
He said it so shockingly. The only host yeah, I've seen. I know. It's on PS. the bio page. I've seen PS. I've seen Jen. Go to the Potterfic Weekly homepage and go to the staff bio page. I think and scroll down until you find my photo. Seriously. I have to say, Ryan, I'm not even listed as a host. Tisk, tisk. Yes, you are. Don't lie to me. They give me a second apartment. So I, I open the door, and, like, right as I open Hold the door... Oh, you don't have a summer home now? <laughs> yeah, I have, I have my summer place and my winter place. Oh, for the love of God. So right when I open the door, I see a dead cockroach. So I close the door, turn around, <laughs> walk to the office, take a key for the apartment next door. It's <laughs> just <laughs> the cockroach will never get in there. I still have a $10 bet that outside of our own pick, Gen 2's favorite fic is going to be in blood only. I can't wait to podcast on this thing. I think it's going to be hysterical. Oh, my favorite, I already Gen know my favorite podcast. is going to be in blood only. Excuse me, no. <laughs> Gen 2's favorite fic is not in blood only. It's going to be. Gen 2's favorite fic is outside of hers is mine. Thank you very much. Go well, Kessa. Don't argue with me. Don't argue with me. Otherwise, even if it's true, Kessa. Go Kessa. Go Kessa. Go Kessa. I met Aaron in Boston. He has an Amazon.com Kindle. And he's like, check it out. So I turned it on, and he's it, Rebuilding Life is on his Kindle. So I told Kessa, she's like, I wrote that. Kessa's <laughs> <laughs> Kindle. like, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I've been publishing for many years. <laughs> Catching up on rebuilding life, and she's like, I had to laugh at Ron saying bad things about Hufflepuffs and Neville defending them, and I'm like, I wrote that. I don't even remember my own fic. Most triumphant. I'm Gen 2. I'm Kaza. Mike. All right, we are back with our third of four. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to do the board designations. Third of fourth. I almost said seven of nine. We're back with our third of fourth. No, third of four. Why am I saying third of fourth? That's not English. What am I doing? Like, I'm critiquing someone else's work, and I can't even speak. We are back with the third podcast on 
I'm trying to think of the author's name. Jumbo, Jumbo, Jumbo Army in the Year of Darkness by Van Fiction, aka Stranger Than Fiction, aka Andrew. I won't call him Andy because we're not that tight, but Andrew wrote it. And I have to tell you, um, well, no, Gen 2 will tell you. Gen 2, what do I think of this fic? He thinks it's, like, better than sliced bread. How do we know that, Gen 2? Because you send me a text message, an email, a Skype, Twitter, or private message at least every 35 seconds telling me so. I'm like, Gen 2, it's crack. Gen 2, it's crack. Gen 2, it's crack. Message back. You have the wrong number. You have the wrong number. You have the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> so that I'm caught in, like, an international drug trade. So, like, my apologies. I was, <laughs> you have to hear about this fic, and they're like, who are you? And I should just go get my cell phone. I should just scroll down through the messages and just read them all to you. That would mean I'd have to get up and go get my cell phone. And- <laughs> I hate you. Oh, go to hell. Why hate me? I hate you. You know, I hate you. I'm depressed. <laughs> this is crack. I'm dying. I never said I hate you, did I? I think one time you did, but there are all these, like, one-sentence declarative exclamatory things. This fic is just fantastic. It's wonderful. Like, oh my god. (laughs) And it's just like, well, have you not read any really (laughs) fantastic fic since you picked up Melinda stuff? (laughs) I really did have you at hello. You had me at hello, Gen 2. Gen 2's a genius. Well, technically, Andrew wrote the thing. Gen 2 just picked it for the podcast, so I think we that, can... That alone, her ability to pick it makes her a genius. Well, I think we can give Andrew the lion's share of the credit for writing it, especially since it's his first fic. I couldn't even say third of four earlier this evening, and he wrote the entire fic from wall to wall, so... Let's just say that if I'm a, a genius for picking a fic that I found to be a good plot, was written well, had minimal typos and spelling errors and the grammar was pretty decent and was very compelling and kept me reading it and those are you know my criteria for what i call a good fic if that's not everybody's criteria for a good fic they just have really low standards (laughs) if there's a pound sign in the middle of every other word i'm still willing to stick with it (laughs) i am not i am still willing to stick with it and i will not quit i've quit Two fics. You are so Hufflepuff. What the hell is a Hufflepuff? I have quit two fics in the history of this fandom. What two? One of them I won't tell you. The other one is the one where Harry just watched MASH all the time. I I couldn't (laughs) do it. I didn't get it. And there was a sequel coming up because apparently he watched after MASH, after MASH ended. Like, I just, like, I did not understand where he was going with the story. And, like, like, really, when I have to stop reading fanfiction because I think my life is infinitely more interesting than what Harry's going through. Harry Potter, what he's going through, is less interesting than my life. Like, that's not a good sign. So I stopped reading the other thing. If you're the author of that fic and you're listening right now, um, my apologies. No, oh, if you're the author of that fic, you suck. He's watching MASH at the moment. Well, he doesn't suck. I'm sure he's purple. Yeah, he's crying right now. Sorry. <laughs> I'm the new Chi. What can I say? Third season. So, um, tonight we are starting with chapters 14 through 19. Is that something mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. chapters are we reading tonight? 14 through 19. 14 through 19? Look at that! I'm right on top of things here. We are reading chapters 14 through 19 tonight. Now, I make it my practice to read the chapters with the podcast. So usually what will happen on the normal week is I will get to the chapters for that night's episode and I will stop reading 
14 seconds before I say, and welcome back to Perfect Weekly, because I'm, I'm, I'm the crammer. I get everything done at the last minute. I finished the chapters, and then I read the rest of the story. And when I finished the story, I started the sequel. And to get to the sequel, I had to read the author's note introducing the sequel. Reading the author's note introducing the sequel, I started to tear up. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be a fanboy when I... I became hyper excited by the author's note introducing the sequel. The <laughs> author's note got me excited. <laughs> Woohoo, geek! I'm tearing up right now, just telling you about the author's note for the sequel. I'm just telling you. It's beautiful. I swear to God, you're such a girl. I am not a girl. I was a girl <laughs> once with Arabella and Genia, and that was 79,000 episodes ago, so I'm not a girl. <laughs> What chapter is this author's note? I don't even normally it's read the author's, author's note. note to the introduction to the sequel. Well, You're I'm like, going to read it for you, my friends. This is the author's note for the introduction of the sequel. This novel is a continuation of the DA universe, and although it is possible to read it without having read Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, I strongly suggest that you do so, as you will otherwise be missing out on a great deal, and certain parts might not make sense at all. Be that said, however, this is a much darker, more mature story, and will contain some things, both personal and political, that may upset some people. You will find very grown-up themes, extremely offensive and hard language, racial, religious, and ethnic slurs, extreme graphic violence, character death, rape, dismemberment, cannibalism, and moderately graphic <laughs> sexuality of both the heterosexual and same-sex variety. You will also be getting a crash course in Irish politics and Celtic mythology. This is not your usual Harry Potter fan fiction. If you're okay with this, I can also promise you one heck of a ride with some equally powerful themes of love, redemption, friendship, loyalty, and faith. The children of the DA are children no longer, and this is not a children's story in any way, but I think it's a good one nonetheless. I want to buy whatever he's selling. I'm listening to this, I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Come on, isn't that the best author's note you've ever heard? It is the best author's note I've ever heard. I want more Harry in the sequels. I meant to ask Jen that. Does that Harry the come... the best thing about this story? Like, Harry's barely in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like a favorite... vacation. I love that. I like the whole thing. My favorite part is definitely Harry back in the story, I have to say. I like seeing Neville's viewpoint of Harry. I, I've enjoyed Are you that. Kidding? Mike, are you kidding? As many times as you've knocked Harry, Jenny, and, and all the stories that we've done, you're sitting here saying, I like the best part of the story was when Harry came back. I don't think I would have liked it as much if it had been Harry's point of view. What I enjoyed is I enjoyed seeing Neville's emotions and Neville playing off of Harry. Oh, you like it could you, be Harry's point of view. Harry wasn't there. We already that. have Harry's point of view of the battle. What's the point of rewriting that? I, I don't want Harry. The whole story yeah. from that perspective. No, no. Listen, I, I don't want Harry's point of view. What I'm saying, oh. I want more like what we had at the end of this story, where it's Neville's point of view, but Harry's there. So we're seeing Neville's thoughts about Harry and Neville's oh, reactions. You want more of Neville thinking that he's like, you know, a clueless punk. I finally beat you, didn't I, Potter? What do you think of that, huh? I'm the champion! There was a minor hiccup in the final chapters that we'll get to um, next week. I, I sent a rant to um, to Jen the second over here and then took my rant back four seconds later because there, 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 something happened which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, what Ryan doesn't realize is that I don't have one of those extended text plans, so every time he sends me like these recantations, it's just like, 
Am I charging you like a quarter every time I tell you that this fic is crack? Yes. Would you like me to write you a check? Now I feel bad. <laughs> hey, hang on. How come if you're getting a text, you have to pay for it? You have to pay for it if you get a text. Wait. Do you yes. mean like if I didn't like you, Ryan, I could send you like 500 texts no, and no, make you pay $100? This, this, this is rubbish. That's utter rubbish. My plan, I get 50 free texts and uh-huh. I don't have to pay for them and neither does anyone else. No, but it, it, in, I'm confused. The person who sends the text is the one who pays for it. No, but also in my the world. person who receives it. But after you're 50 free, <laughs> if I send you, if you send 50 text messages, then I send you one in America, you would pay for that 50 first. No, see, in, in Australia, I would pay for the texts I send. If I receive a text, I don't have to pay for it. Let me ask you a question. You're having issues with your own internet right now. You're stuck with little training wheels on your internet. No, 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 right it's now. back. It is back. My internet is back. Why was your internet down? Because Mr. Keza discovered this thing. It's called justintv.com.au. And what it does is it plays football games over the internet. So Mr. Keza says, oh, this is very exciting because we live in South Australia and we play Australian rules in South Australia. So most of the coverage is about Australian rules. He was born in Sydney in New South Wales, which is rugby league country. So in order to watch the rugby league, he has to look for sources other than free-to-air television. And we don't have pay TV because we like to eat. So <laughs> he, gets, <laughs> he gets this Justin TV and he's very excited and he spends his whole weekend watching rugby on the internet and going, this is fantastic. It is the best website ever. So, so a couple he, of weeks ago. So he pulled a gin too. Yes, he's been very excited about the rugby league. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, you know what? I can't seem to download any YouTubes. And I'm trying (laughs) to send Ryan files, and it's going at like two kilobytes per set. What is going on? So we look it up, and apparently we've used 110% of our 12 gig limit. Now, Paul's (laughs) cut that out. Mr. Kez's work pays for our internet plan. Hold on, you think someone's going to wander around Australia now looking for a guy named Paul? (laughs) He likes to be called Mr. Kezza, that's his thing. He'll be very upset to know that I called him his name. (laughs) So the work pays for it. So we've never had any reason to look at how much it is. Well, apparently we have a 12 gig plan and over the month we can use 12 gigs. After we've used 12 gigs, they slow it down to just above dial-up speed so that we don't have to pay extra. So, 10 days before the end of the month, Mr. Keza has watched so much rugby via the internet that we are 110% of our allowance and they have slowed it down and I can't do a thing. Let me ask, just to recap very quickly. So, what you're saying is that it is an abomination that Gen 2 be forced to pay a quarter for my... Year of Darkness is crack text message. <laughs> that is that is not the way to run a cell phone company. That, that is, is right. That is against that is right. the spirit of the world. <laughs> but you right now are spending three days downloading a Puffwa episode because Mr. <laughs> Keza went over your rugby minutes. This <laughs> <laughs> what he said. He's like, he looks at me and he goes, hmm, what have you been doing? <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. So he but he looks at the times when it's the usage, and he's like, oh, Friday and Sunday are the best usage. I'm like, that's when you've been watching rugby. And he's like, 
But that's not a download. That's the TV. (laughs) 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 That's still a download. (laughs) And it's like, fuck, this is supposed to be your fault. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing right now hundreds of Australian football listeners downloading the season finale of season two and not being able to use the internet for the rest of the year. That's just the plan that the work has put us on so that they don't, if we go over the 12 gigs, they're not, you know. Because I once, I um went over my, uh, what did I do? I was on a uh, casual plan because something happened and it cost me $200 for the month because I was on the pay per minute thing and I didn't realise. <laughs> oh, it was awful. Oh, it's shocking. You know, do we customarily have, do we customarily in America have unlimited plans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, an unlimited plan here costs like 160 bucks a month. Oh, I'll just comment so. that I don't pay utilities, internet, cable TV, or any of that. <laughs> but we don't have cockroaches, Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I bet you do for that matter. I don't have cinder block walls either. How do you have cinder block walls? Took a guess, Mike. How many times did the pizza fall off? Mike, look to the left and smile. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking to the left and smiling? I am, but the left is on the wall. So, I'm <laughs> so how many times do you, how many times do you think I should enter the um, Half Blood Prince competition to win preview tickets? It's two hundred tickets on offer in my state for a preview for July thirteenth. Well, how how often can you actually register on dial-up? I have to send actual physical letters in from snail mail. It's so archaic. Snail mail. Yeah, yeah, snail mail. I had to get a stamp and lick it and put it on the thing. How many stamps do you have? That's awesome. <laughs> I, I haven't bought any yet. You I have just, to lick your stamps? To... No, they peel off, actually. I only have to lick them if I buy them from over the counter and I buy, like, one at a time and they put them off the sheet. If I buy a book, they peel and stick. I lick my I stamp. I remember the last time I bought a stamp. <laughs> but you don't lick your stamps, Jen? Mike, huh? what world are you living in? I'm picturing a nuke going off over Mike's building, and he's like, what was that? Oh, well, at least the cockroach is Is Rochester on this planet? Do you, do you have peeling stick stamps in the United States? Or? Yes. It's like we don't yeah. have cows or peeling stick stamps. We have unlimited internet and crappy text <laughs> message plans. Yeah. Gentoo, I'm mailing you a check for $4.75. I can't mail you a check because I have any stamps. <laughs> <laughs> I'll PayPal you for a second. <laughs> don't worry. About it. Ryan, what if I don't like you and I send you like five oh, text messages <laughs> to piss you off and make you pay like a huge bill? I have the unlimited plan. I'm grandfathered in. Go for it. <laughs> Every time I send Jen to a message saying I love your darkness, I'll PayPal or a <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. Well, now you tell me you didn't have the plan. So this happened when Danielle and I first started dating. She, uh, Danielle, uh, a few years ago went to Florida and she had AT&T for the time for her cell phone plan. And the guy, when she got her phone, told her, if you ever see the roaming signal on, you're, you know, paying so much per minute. And she was in Florida and she, you know, wasn't having a very good time for whatever reason. So she's down there. So she, she'd call me, we talked for, you know, a couple hours, you know, a night or whatever. 
and she never had the roaming signal on. She gets home, her cell phone bill is like $387. (laughs) Because apparently that is not how the phone works, but the guy at the store lied to her. She still hasn't paid the bill. It's been like four years, but... (laughs) Not paying the bill, no. Don't worry about it, Ryan. If if I wouldn't text you back if I didn't, you know... Well, I have the unlimited plan. Text me all you want. (laughs) No, I'm just saying I wouldn't answer. I would, I've never sent a text message. Well, I shouldn't. I do send text messages. I send like one a month on average, maybe. I tried to use my phone the other day in the cinema because I was finally sitting in Star Trek and I wanted to text Puffa and let them know. And I cannot make the internet work on my phone. It's like in order to write Potterfic Weekly, I'm like pressing all the buttons and then I put in my username and I put in my password and it's like you've got the wrong password. And you know how annoying it is to try and put Zs on? It's like four times I have to press the nine button. So I gave up. I was trying to use my cell phone at work the other day to, to log on to Pulfoy at lunch. And I have like the little phone with like the really tiny screen because I'm not getting a new yeah. phone next month. So it took me five times to log in with my password, and then I decide I'm gonna send Keza a PM. And like <laughs> it took me so long to find on the screen the area with the messages, and then send her the message, and then t- and then by then I was exhausted and I haven't sent anything yet. So then I, like what did I even send you? I'm like hi. Like, yeah, was I was like, like by the sentence, I'm like. Okay. <laughs> and I, I didn't, and the worst thing was I'd just gone to bed, so I didn't get it till the next morning. I'm like, oh, does he need me to answer that now? <laughs> and I didn't know that you'd gone to such lengths to send me I the I sent a message saying, like, thinking of you, and she's like, oh crap, I think Ryan's hitting on me. Like, it's because I can't respond it's over her <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I am so special. Not that you're not, but why 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 today? Mike just gave me his digits. Oh you serious? <laughs> well, we're talking about phone numbers, I thought I should share it with you and Keza. Yeah, but I can't actually call you Mike. <laughs> well I can call I, I can, can call, call Keza for free. I can call Keza. Oh, hell! Well, I can't call her for free, but I can call Keza from Skype because I didn't think she did the um, Cleo interview with Rinna. It was like a three-hour yeah. podcast. <laughs> and I thought I was going to have to pay 25 cents a minute to call her on <laughs> Skype. I'm like, I cannot afford Because that's when I was on my dodgy internet. Yeah, you like Keza, I can call you for free. How can you call me for free? One of the perks of the job. I get unlimited long-distance phone. It's not long-distance. It's international, man. Same thing. I've called plenty of people in Sweden over the years. Who I've are you been. calling it? Sweden. <laughs> this, there's a large Song of Ice and Fire community in Sweden, so I, I've chatted with a lot of them. <laughs> was that the only one who thought you I... was going to say something? There's a if... large man who lives on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> what? If you want to call cell phones in America, I have to do like some special thing because Wolfie and I tested it once because I got my new phone and so he like tried to call me and he's like, your phone does not like my phone. Let's try it. <laughs> Give Mike your number and let's see if we hear your phone ringing over the air. Well, there's a um, code. Well, I, hang on a second. Hang on a second because I'd have to plug it in because it's not charged. <laughs> You'd also have to give me the code or I'd have to Google the code to call Australia. Hold on, I'll find the code. It's a, um, I it's love a cell phone. story and that's all I need to say tonight. I, I even had a story I was going to tell you guys that I was all excited. Like, we're not cool, but weird and creepy story. All right. The number for Australia. Oh, that's Austria. My apologies. There you go. I sent my cell phone number. It's my mobile phone. I'm Australian. I don't have a cell phone. I have a mobile. I think it was World of Warcraft. There was some video game where I charged it to my phone because 
I don't pay for it. I bought Tetris on my phone. I have Harry Potter on my phone. Movies? <gasps> really? I do. See, I'm I'm completely stupid, and I don't know like how to download ringtones or anything. So country codes, Australia. No, I have the Harry Potter game. International uh-huh. city city codes for calling Australia. So we have to know which region of Australia we're calling, right? Oh, uh, you'd have to call my landline for that. I don't know. Have how you seen you call the digit up? It's the weirdest digit combination I ever saw. I'm not going to say the numbers. I mean, it's, it's the four, Australia three, three. country code is 61. So how does this work? I, I That's 61. my landline. That's my landline there. Wouldn't you use it if you called your cell phone as well? I don't know. No one ever calls my mobile. So wait, I want to <laughs> dial. What, what do I want to dial? I want to dial something. The top on one is my mobile number. I don't know if you can dial that Hold from on, there. Let's the bottom Google us. How to make an international phone. <laughs> 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 make it. I love Google. Step-by-step instructions. Mike, are you listening? I'm listening. Well, yeah, you should Skype this to me because I'm not going to memorize it. In order to make an international phone call, there are several bits of information you need to begin. You must know the international call prefix. This code allows you to dial outside of the country you're calling from and is unique for each country. Step 61. one, dial international call prefix. Six one. Six one. No, it no. says the international call prefix is zero zero one one. Zero zero one one. All right. Then oh, the country yeah, code. Right. In the country. Zero zero one one six one. Then the city six. code and the local number. So so zero zero one one six one. Then the number Kezi gave me. I didn't see. The yeah. Gave I'm not reading out loud because I'm being polite. <laughs> That's the weirdest digit. Co- I've never seen anything crazy before. Which one do you want me to call, Kezi? Um, I don't know which one's gonna work. You can try either of them. Hold your breath, everyone. <laughs> see if my phone rings. <laughs> no, I can't actually get up and get a landline from here. <laughs> it's in the other room. <laughs> Can we hear it Hang from on where minute. we are? Should be able, yeah. All right, we've I put a man on the moon. We've <laughs> sent robots to Mars. We're going to see if Mike of Rochester... Can ring Australia. <laughs> ...fearing cockroaches, not getting number 10, can call Australia. <laughs> Which one are you calling? Your cell phone. It's not ringing. Oh, maybe it's on silent. Hang on. Oh, for the love of God. They're making an international phone call here. <laughs> it didn't let me go through. No, it's it not doing go- anything. It was ringing, but nothing happened. And then I got like the like the, the Verizon like bad noise. It did not respond to your call. Oh, that's lame. You'll probably be able to ring the landline. That will work. Like I said, you can't call my mobile. Because American mobiles don't talk to Australian mobiles. You have to have special ones. No, that that is actually true. And I don't have a special one. So you just did that to Mike because you wanted to trick him? Yeah, well, I, I, I was trying to figure I out... I kept telling you you can't. That's why I gave him my landline. No, <laughs> I'm talking to Ryan. Ryan tricked me? Again? <laughs> no, that was the right thing. Hey, we can call the Congo. <laughs> Do we know anyone oh in the Congo? Ryan speaking, tricked me all the time. Speaking of which, Neville took Anna Wait, to the Congo. Wait, I want to story started. Did he? When? <laughs> On Valentine's Day, they went to the Congo. No, they didn't. They went to the Room of Requirement, which they're treating like a holodeck, which I think is the stupidest thing ever in fan fiction. (laughs) One thing I was afraid would happen in these chapters, I was afraid, like they were talking last week how the Room of Requirement like empties out anywhere. Like wherever you need to go except Snape's office, the Room of Requirement (laughs) can take you there. One thing I was afraid is like when Seamus needed to travel home to paint his body to kill Snape. Like, he would just walk through the room of requirement and end up in his house. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. But luckily, it doesn't work that way. You actually do need to fly. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with the room of requirement 
Um, is that canon? Um, I can't remember when the, in, in Order of the not Order of the, is it Order of the Phoenix, and it, and it opens up in other places because I know it does it in the movie, so they can avoid Filch. The door opens up in a different place. I'm pretty sure there's one. I'm trying to remember. We had this discussion last week. I know we found a spot in canon. Not whatever it was the last podcast. We found a spot in canon where it, it opens up in a different location. So there was. I know it opens up into the Hogshead, obviously. So I guess it's not that far fetched. It just seemed a little too convenient, I think, in the fic. I mean, it was very useful, and it didn't bother me that much. It just seemed a bit convenient that it can open up into you know anywhere. <laughs> well, it was strange enough that they couldn't use it for. Um, no, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they use it to get to Hagrid's hut for the party? Yes. In canon, why didn't Neville use it to uh, go into the kitchen and get food? Because of going he, to he couldn't get back. Because he said that he thought that it was it was just too obvious that there would be a trap laid for him there. Uh, but also, yeah, how would he get back, though, if he did that, too? No, he, the, the room would wait for him, but it says yeah. in, the, in the fic, he says it. Uh, okay, yeah. It's probably not um, Andrew's fault or anything. It's probably just one of those things from canon that I'm a bit wary of. I'm like, hmm, there's too many holes in it. Because to me, the Room of Requirement never did all that. But I think, you know, if you look at canon in Deathly Hallows, it actually does do that. But I'm like, nah, I don't know. I guess that's the thing. It's restrained enough well, that they can't use it to, to leave the school and go anywhere in the world. They can use yeah. it to get you know, to the common rooms. And, and to be honest, for the plot, you need that because with so many members yeah. of the DA, there's no way you can have everyone walking down the hallways. I guess just for me, I'm kind of like, it makes sense in this fic, right? And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just because it doesn't do it in canon because, I mean, he has to go to the Ravenclaw common room and instead of Neville piping up and going, oh, by the way, we can just make the thing open up. It's like, oh, no, you have to take Luna because Ginny will chop off Cho's head if Cho goes anywhere near Harry and go and open the Ravenclaw common room with the stupid password and all that sort of stuff. So I think JKR is the one with holes, not thick. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like what I was saying in the first one that we did on this fic is that when you look back at um, Deathly Hallows, half of it to me doesn't make sense. So when you see Andrew trying to apply that to the story and go more in depth, all things that don't make sense to me, you know, were from JKR and this is his, like for example, like the Death Eaters, you know, in canon, when you look at the Death Eaters, are they openly in charge? Are they pulling the strings behind the scenes? Because in this fic, you have Snape boasting to the Great Hall that Lord Voldemort personally picked out your curriculum. And I'm like, because ah! we thought he was dead. So, like, you know, how much of it is realistically happening? Because then if Lord Voldemort's running things, then why do we have this thick-head guy running the ministry or whatever the hell it is? So, th- that was one of the things that I was I was concerned with. I am barely lucky if I know where I'm getting married. I'm driving in circles with the hell door. There you go, because I found it. Neville did not even consider trying to open a door to the kitchens. It was too basic, too elementary to think that they would not have set up spells to alert them if he reappeared in the castle. No, he was stuck. Ah, okay, gotcha. But it doesn't like just open up anywhere in the castle because it goes to the hogshead. So there's just a lot of holes in it. It's the same as the Fidelius. Yeah, there's too many holes. That happened in the canon though. I mean, it had to go the That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It happened in the canon and, and uh, it's it's not consistent. It's the same as the Fidelius. Like, I I don't think JKR was particularly consistent. She used the bits that she wanted to use and then because the reason I'm thinking of this is because I've got to the point in my fic at which I am using a hidden room in the castle, right? And the reason I didn't use a room of requirement because I just didn't understand how the thing worked. Like Neville gets the room, Keza doesn't get the room. So I made it broken so that I could make up my own room. Has anyone seen seen a movie on the sci-fi channel? It had um, Juliana Margulitas and it had the guy from Sports Night uh, called The Lost Room. 
No. It was a miniseries that was going to be the pilot of a TV show that never got picked up. But it was a really interesting plot point. The plot point was that there's a there's a divorced cop who's fighting for custody of his of his young daughter, as I recall. There's you know criminals who are fighting over particular objects. One of them might be a comb. One of them might be like an alarm clock. One of them might be a you know a cigarette lighter. And and these objects have you know tremendous power. Like for example, if you you know flick the lighter, you might dematerialize and reappear somewhere in Arizona, like on this random road in Arizona. If you have the pen, if you you know if it's like you know like a, like a um, you know, like the pens that you, you know, flick the button at the top of it. If you flick the button at the top of the pen, what am I thinking here? The, um, it's the, what's the stupid pens that you flick the thing to get the pen to flick come the, up? Flick the bick? Yeah, it's, um, I can't, oh, no, what's that type of pen called? I feel like an idiot. The, um. Space pen? A ballpoint? Ballpoint, thank you. Um, <laughs> well done, Australia. <laughs> you have, you know, divorcing cop fighting for custody of his daughter, and they encounter criminals who you know, end up abducting his daughter and, and the cop is trying to get her back and he discovers that all of these criminals are fighting over these objects. They're, they're common objects, you know, alarm clocks and, um, you know, a watch and, um, you know, ballpoint pen and, you know, cigarette lighter and all of these objects have, you know, incredibly all of these objects, you know, individually can do very interesting things. The ballpoint pen can stop time and the alarm clock can transport you across the world. In one, in one item, I think, it, it, you know, if you hold it over an egg, it will cook the egg. Like, they do really weird things. And you discover that there's this lost room. Uh, it's a motel room from the 60s. And it's where all these objects originated from. Something awful, terrible happened in this hotel room 50 years ago that has done something to anything and anyone that was in it at the time. And this cop comes into possession of the key to the room. So if you have this key, you can open any door in the world. And when you open it, the room will be on the other side. And if you walk into the room and then you walk out the front door of the motel, you, you're anywhere in the world that you'd want to be. And it's, it was this really great, actually, miniseries, and it never got picked up for a series. But the thing with it was, the room resets itself every time you leave it. So if you leave the room, and you, you say you were sleeping on the bed, you go back in, it's reset. Well, what happens is, if there's someone in the room, and you leave them in there, and then you go back in the room, they're gone. So the question is, where are they? And the room of requirements always struck me that same way. Whereas if you're in the room of requirement and you're Neville and you have it set up to be a DA training area and all of a sudden Draco wants to use the room because he wants to find the Horcrux, what happens to the DA members if they're in there at the time? Is there like a, like a, you know, only one person can use the room at the time thing or can multiple people use it for multiple purposes but not come into yeah, Only one person can use it at a time because doesn't Harry try to get in when Draco's using it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's well it's interesting if it went the other way too. And and anyone out there who actually um has the ability, uh definitely pick up the D V D of Lost Room. It's just it's a really cool concept for a show and I and I wish it got picked up for a series because it's right up my alley. But um it always has reminded me of the rumor requirement a little bit. But I think that Andrew definitely just does a really good job of not making the room of requirement all powerful and super powerful. It, in Order of the Phoenix, the movie was it was ridiculous. You could blow a hole in the wall and you're in. But <laughs> he does. I have no idea how they're going to account for that in Deathly Hallows the movie. But I think he does a really good job with the rumor requirement. I'll just leave it there. And please go rent the DVD. I swear to God, I have no royalties from it, but I think you'll like it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm mailing you the DVD with a check for four twenty five as soon as that buys stamps. <laughs> 
she laughs, I'm actually doing it. I'm doing that. All right. Looking at my notes here for chapter 14, um, can I just say, as a guy who has gone to a prom before, I have never tried to get dressed with 14 other guys in the room. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is what I said. Neville pulls rank at the mirror on Valentine's Day. Does this not seem like the hokiest thing ever, or is it just me, or is this just how boys really act? What do you mean? For one thing, I can't picture guys, like, Colin almost rips his throat out trying to shave. I mean, like, <laughs> like if fan fiction wasn't a dude, I would be wondering if this was what a girl thought guys did. On prom- like, like oh, usually- oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then I have to do my second thought, my second okay. note. I have O-N-F-G. Colin is Don Juan. <laughs> I know I had that hey, too. This is very scary because you know what my note says? My first note's for chapter 14. Dintu and I have like a mind meld going on because I've got Neville Paul's rank and creepy as a player. That's <laughs> <laughs> my note. <laughs> and it's like we've brought out the same thing. I have I the have, same thing too. I, I hate I, I hate to do this to you all. Now, what I have contained within my notes here is I'm like, okay, Colin Creevy is a ladies' man. <laughs> <laughs> with with the muggles when he goes home. With his parents, you know, the milk people. <laughs> Colin's got that camera he brings everywhere. <laughs> Uh-oh. Do you think he has, like, the camera set up on the bookcase, and the ladies come in, and they start kissing, and the little red lights on, and all of a sudden turn around. Like, I'm starting to think of Colin in, in, in like, the kind of skeevy internet predator kind of way. Like, uh, Only he, you could turn it dirty. Well, I'm picturing because the one thing I was thinking he never does in this fic is carry his camera around everywhere. I am, I am just cringing right now. I am speechless. I'm just picturing, well, you know what? I'm just picturing whatever happened to the camera. That was just where my... He Let's took go. a picture with it. He took a picture <laughs> of the DA. Hold on Sorry. a second. The sequel to this story involves dismemberment and cannibalism, but I am all of a sudden ruining the story for you, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he was training for a war. Not then. No, this you know rough. what it is? It got put up on the roof um, in the Order of the Phoenix video game, and no one ever got it down because that's really yeah. hard to work out how to get it down. <laughs> I, I respect the makers of of the Order of the Phoenix video game for wanting to make it very canon-esque and very true to the chronology of the canon. But after you fight Dumble, after you fight Dumbledore, after you fight Voldemort and save the world, I'm spending the next three days in the castle looking for Luna's shoes. I just sit there forever trying to beat the guy. And I'm like, could he l- just kill me and get it over with and put me out of my torture? That's very much game. like the ending of Half Blood Prince. Maybe they didn't want to spoil it. But you know what? <laughs> the thing too is, I can't beat him, but I never lose. So I think there's no way to. Lo- I don't know. Why are we talking about this? So anyway, so uh, Colin's a player. <laughs> a really good joke is in this chapter. It made me laugh. I mean, okay. it made me like laugh out loud. So I really made you cringe, huh? Yeah. What's the joke that makes you laugh out loud? I'm very it's a, concerned about the cringing. Um, they're in the bathroom, and little Jeff Hooper's in there, and he's trying to be, you know, like, all manly man, and he says, I'm not a kid. As the youngest one in fourth year, oh. Jeff Hooper looks... <laughs> I didn't get that joke. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> Just let me finish. Planting both hands on his hip as he faced Neville sternly. I'm in the DA, aren't I? Using one of those seriously yet? Neville gestured toward the boy with his razor. Not exactly. Do you honestly know how Andy was going to finish that sentence? Jeff looked down, his hands falling to his sides. 
No, he admitted. Neville nodded as he finished touching up the last bit on his chin and rinsed his face in the basin. Then you're a kid. <laughs> Not to be a kid here, but I didn't quite get how the line was supposed to finish All either. Right. I have to say this for last week's episode. <laughs> Mike was asked last week what his thoughts were on <laughs> Dumbledore's cadets. And his exact response was, they remind me of Hitler youths. So you know what? <laughs> okay, okay, Mike. Yes. <laughs> I get the hand part. I don't get the Demelza part. There is no Demelza part. It, it goes, we've got a proper Gildery Lockhart here. Just call me if you need no, help. No, 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 no. That's not the joke. The joke the, is what I just said. Right, He's but the shaking. joke is that he can't finish the line, right? No. He's shaving, and Neville gestures to him, and he says, Are you using one of those seriously yet? He gestures toward him, and Jeff says, Not exactly. And then he says, and he says, No, we'll never know. Gen 2? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew has said, You've got the one really good hand, and Demos is, and Neville cuts him off. And so Jeff's saying, I'm not a kid, because Neville's like, Don't talk about us as kids in here. And he says to Jeff, who's saying, I'm not a kid, he's like, Well, do you know how he was going to finish the sentence? And Jeff's like, no. And like, then you're a kid. Because you have to be a grown-up to know how he was going to finish. Yes. And my question is, I don't know how he's going to finish the sentence. Yeah, then you're a kid. <laughs> what happened to Jen No, the bit I like All right, now, here's my concern. <laughs> oh, my God, my cord was pulled out. <laughs> you were gone for like a minute and a half. I finished it. I, I finished it, but Mike No, but you see... He says, are you using one of those seriously seriously yet? And he's gesturing toward the boy with his razor. And the kid says, not exactly. And then he says, do you know how honestly know how Andy was going to finish that sentence? And the kid is thinking that it's the razor. It's innuendo. Do you do you, he's Mike, saying do you rem- do you hold honestly? On. Gen, two, Gen 2, I'll take care of this. Now, Mike, do you remember when Draco wanted to grab Harry and fondle him during Naked Quidditch match? Correct, yes. Are uh, you using that seriously? Do you remember any- what he actually wanted to fondle? Right, I, I get that part. I don't get what Demelza has to do with it. All right. I mean, if he thought Demelza that he was actually girl, talking about the razor, then he was still a kid. Right. No, this is the line we've got a proper Gildery Lockhart here. Just call no, me. Oh, that's you know. not the, that's not the joke. Ah, it's the I just razor. got one really good hand, and Demelza's. How is the line finished? What do you it's do when you've got hands and a young lady under the mic? <laughs> okay. Hey, there it is. Wait, right, what, what, I, still, I, I get Gen the joke, two. but I don't get how the line finishes. All right, Keza, you work oh. with Mike. I'm working with the Gen 2. <laughs> now, my question for you is, we got through Paradigm of Uncertainty, the significant glancing, 14 different stages of turnaround, Justin and George and the memory charming, you know, when they go off into the village to go on dates. <laughs> But I completely skeeved you with Colin Creevy in his magic camera. <laughs> okay, and Mike, Maybe, the way so that the not- sentence is going to finish isn't really important, just so you know. Okay. It's just that Jeff doesn't know how it's going to finish because he's still a kid. And he doesn't and because he's a kid, because he's... Hands. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't... His mind is not automatically going straight to the gutter. He's actually thinking it might end innocently. How old is he? 14. It doesn't seem very realistic. It's a fourth today. year. You didn't get it either. That's a fair point. And what? You're, you're 23, 24? She's got you there, big guy. <laughs> God. I, this is going to be the most... This is like... I, I still can't believe in this podcast we unsuccessfully called Australia. <laughs> but 
you, you know the bit that I like. I he's um who is it? He's got the scar and oh Jack. He's talking about oh you know should I just lie about this scar coming from the Cruciatus? I got it from a bludger, and I love Shib. It's like perfectly madly, mate. <laughs> I'd go with the truth. <laughs> I love that bit. Shavis in this bit just cracks me up. I love him. He's so I'm fantastic. Jump- I'm jumping ahead. We're all over the map tonight. Ravenous, rampaging, carnivorous squirrels for the win. <laughs> when Seamus can't do his transfiguration. Oh, I'm sitting here with a computer grip and look at my face like, what? I just love the fact that Seamus is walking around half this fic carrying an ottoman with him. I love how he's like, I'm going to pass because I've done every other thing. The only thing left is to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> he's so pants at transfiguration that he's, he's trying to transfigure Northern Irish <laughs> you, know, you know what I like about this though is that the fit is very dark in a lot of places. I mean, they practically killed Neville multiple times and all sorts of other things. And then there's these moments that are just fantastically funny. And I think it helps lighten it up and balance it out. Otherwise, you could just be like drowning in despair you and need crying. To. There's a moment in here where I like couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, they're gonna start killing dogs now. Like this is awful. <laughs> but I wanted to just read this one moment. And I'm not doing the voice. Don't even ask. Six counties. His voice was a low monotone as he recited the litany. The words still slightly slurred, and the accent thicker than Neville was accustomed to. Eight fights. Two just plain muggle-style brawls without spot of magic. Kicked out of eleven pubs. Don't know how many pubs went to. Don't know how many drinks. (laughs) Don't know how many witches. My back's killing me and I don't know who Shannon is. Except her name is tattooed on me right hip. (laughs) He looked up into Neville's shock. He was grinning broadly. Don't remember much at all, really. But though, fearless leader, did I have a lovely time of it. (laughs) <laughs> I love that bit. That's awesome. Seamus is just awesome in this bit. Don't know who Shannon is. He's tattooed on me. How was just... your vacation? Oh, great. Got some sun. Visited with Gran. <laughs> was captured by the Ministry of Magic. Sentenced to death. Because <laughs> <laughs> right before that, you have the scene with Susan where they escape Capture at the ministry. They literally fly out on Victor's broom. What did I say, Susan? Hannah. Okay, Susan. Just, okay. Can I tell you, as a result of Susan Gate and as a result of Melinda <laughs> Leo, the communist hater, she was I, redeemed in this fic. I keep getting Hannah and Susan confused because the only exposure I have had to <laughs> Hannah was episode fifty-eight, the breasts of Hannah Abbott. That was all. <laughs> I know of her. That was my only exposure. She she starts the story and she's beating Neville over the head with a potted plant. And then when she confuses him, she beans him over the head with it and there's like tentacles growing down his throat. And then Ginny gets beat up. It's awful. Seamus Wisdom. The thing is, fearless leader, Seamus's voice was firm yet gentle. You've been ignoring what nature gave you. What's that? Neville asked bemusedly. There's a hole in your face right between your nose and your chin, and the other two on the side of that thick head. One for telling folk you're close to what's troubling you, and the other two are for listening when folks try to help. You ain't been using any of them. When you look at the people who live in this room, like usually when you read fix, Seamus and Dean are like the extras to fill out the room. 
They're kind yeah. of like the token characters, you know what I mean? They're like just there because you have to have five and there needs to be more guys and they're just, you know, the, the stereotypical everyday guys. Let's look at the room. You have Harry, who's a stubborn ass half the time. Then you have Ron. He's the one that taught Harry how to be a stubborn ass. Then you've got Neville, who's tripping over himself for the first five years that we know him. And then there's Dean and Seamus. Now, Dean is not here to defend himself right now, but Seamus is. Because Seamus shows in these chapters his method of dealing with really thick people. He looks to <laughs> Neville, and he says what we've all been thinking this entire fic. Neville, he suggests by tilting his head, can you grow leaves? <laughs> what? <laughs> and when Neville said what, I too said what. I said, can you grow leaves? Or thorns or flowers for that matter. No. <laughs> then how do you do it? You're so good with plants, but you can't do the growing for them. So what do you do? Now at this point, I think Neville thinks they're actually talking about plants. Because <laughs> he, so, he answers the question. He doesn't go, hey, you're not going to get me with that one, you Irishman. He actually answers the question. <laughs> and he goes, you make sure they're in the right light, other them, weed them, prune them. Like, this is how you raise a child. It's ridiculous. And if you don't, Seamus pressed, pressed. He's pressing. <laughs> they die, or they run wild if they're strong enough, but usually they just die. Now, Neville is a bit of a downer, but this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, the Dementors just stormed the Great Hall. That's fair. But then, here's the thing. This is the point where Seamus lets us all know he's not talking about plants. Hannah's what? not half bad with plants either. Maybe you should let yourself be watered. You don't think she can grow the leaves for you. And you know, my mind went to a really bad place. Yeah, but Colin's camera is off limits. And then he closes after saying that he needs to be watered. He closes with, because, mate, you're dying. Neville is dehydrated and needs Hannah to water him right away. And he's a Hufflepuff in this chapter, I thought. What the hell is a Hufflepuff? Neville? I, I thought he I thought he was showing his Hufflepuff. Because this is the conversation leading up to him losing his rank, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the way he just kind of he handles that whole thing seemed very Hufflepuffish to me. In a good way. Not like in a, I'm not saying that in a derogatory manner. I mean, like, he sulks a little bit at first, but once that's through, he accepts it as the best decision possible. The whole thing seemed to me very much sort of... um in a Hufflepuff vein, the way he takes their criticism. Hmm. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He, he what, just... what is a Hufflepuff vein? <laughs> sort of like, you know, you, you, you put the group ahead of yourself. And so he accepts the decision where a more self-centered Gryffindor or, say, a Slytherin wouldn't because for them they want to be the leader. He that doesn't point. accept the decision. He just doesn't have a choice. Would a Gryffindor response to that be, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because he goes to the Hufflepuff common room, as I recall, is nearly shot by Ernie. Ernie, can I tell you, he will always be earnest to me after this fic. I love Ernie. <laughs> like, really, we tight. Oh, and speaking of which, Neville realizes his friends are right when he sees an earlier snapshot taken by Colin. Thank you. But he realizes but, they're right. Oh, he but, has his camera. <laughs> but still continues to be a clueless asshole. 
goes to apologize to Hannah, who should have kneed him in the stones, but instead forgives him and makes me vomit. At least Ernie and Susan got it right. Well, the thing about this, too, and I just want to say this about the story, because it, it ties into the whole thing about him being relieved of command. Like, obviously, like in the last of the chapters, when we went to the borough. Now, Colin's parents, dead. Like, Dennis <laughs> cannot speak, needs therapy for at least five years. Colin has lost his hand, and he's been stabbed with wands, giving him blood of indeterminate blood type to see if that will save his life. Molly Weasley, deeply concerned, saving his life, while at the same time engaging Hannah in you know, everyday conversation about things that her mother taught her and stuff. So you have all these things happening at once, so Neville is stressed. So Neville decides to take pills. Yes. Now, the way... It read from the scene was, like, he's not taking the hardcore stuff. He's taking, like, Percy's back pills. This is a Neville that you can tell has not gotten out much and cannot hold his own. He takes the pills. And then five minutes later, Colin, who is clinging to life, he looks like Tiny Tim at this point. Like, he's got the crutch. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to do a number, like, to cheer everybody up. Neville walks in. Kicks his crutch out from under him, stomps on his good hand, and says, Colin, you suck. (laughs) At this point, Arthur is frisking him and trying to shove him through the metal detector. (laughs) So he does that. And they literally, like, stab him, and they do a, like, they seriously do, like, a cavity search. And they zap him, and they hit him with the family car to make sure he's And then he has a heart-to-heart with Arthur, and then Arthur gives him back the back pills and says, I trust you with these back pills. Percy has a bad back. And he's fine. It was very, obviously, heavy-handed. Like, he's he's dissing the kid who just lost his whole family. So, obviously, Neville is not himself. Never take the back pills, Neville. You're like a whole new person. So, in these chapters, it actually, um, what my point here is, is it really snuck up on me um, in these chapters, the point to where Neville essentially loses command. Because, as I said in the first podcast, starting off the story, I thought the whole concept of of command, you know, was too heavy-handed because it seemed like people who knew each other for years and who were just students who were forming what essentially is a militia wouldn't refer to themselves as commander and lieutenant and they wouldn't be so regimented. But it, it really, really, really grew on me as I read the story. When you look at what happened, you have, um, who's the kid who gets um, taken out when they bring the Dementors in? Whitby. Whitby? Whitby. Kevin Whitby. Kevin Whitby. And you have the scene where Whitby gets taken out of the Great Hall and there's that you know, foreboding when you go down there, um, you know, it's like the icy chill, what Snape going to do now? And he takes the student and all that's left is like three drops of blood and a broken wand and Neville doesn't do anything to stop it. And literally right after that, he's incredibly upset and he, you know, he's pushing himself way past the breaking point and then some. I was really expecting the point where the story would go would be someone has a heart to heart with him and snaps him out of it. I was surprised that they actually relieved him of command. It was surprising, but it was a good surprise, because I didn't expect them to go that far. As opposed to the very heavy-handed nature of the back pills, I thought that was actually a really great way to go with it. My note says, Neville loses his mind and turns into a self-deprecating, antisocial bastage, leading his lieutenants to vote to send him on a vacation until after Easter break. (laughs) (laughs) I had some questions about that. One of the first things I was thinking is that you've seen Neville's... um, 
mind working about Snape. And I was just wondering, because we know at the end of Deathly Hallows and, and sort of Harry really mellows towards Snape because he was really good and there was gold at the end of the rainbow. And I was wondering what it would take this Neville to be convinced of that because I just that my mind just wandered there. I don't Having think spent any- all that time with Snape, I don't think that Harry would easily convince him. That I, I don't think so either. I think that Neville could never be swayed I think he would always think that he was evil. When you look at canon, though, you get um, a couple throwaway lines about how, you know, instead of defense against the dark arts, we have dark arts. There's a couple lines about the first years being roughed up. But we as a fandom for two years were going, is Snape good or evil? And the options were good or evil. And we read Deathly Hallows, and you have, you know, all the scenes with Snape in the flashbacks, you know, in, in, in Snape's memories, you know, f- arguing with Dumbledore that he's using Harry, and you have, you know, Snape who um, just wants Harry to know he did it all for the love of Lily, and you have Harry, you know, heroically naming his son after Snape. And Snape yeah. is cast in, you know, a very positive light he did what he could, and, you know, it was Voldemort who put these caros in there, and, you know, Snape you know, kept everyone alive, and, and you really end the canon thinking of Snape as a good guy. Then yeah. you read this, and this is very plausible how this happened, because we glossed over this year as, you know, the, those Death Eaters roughing everybody up, but when you read this here, Snape had to be the one in the Great Hall every day as the public face of it, and, you yeah. know, he, he's handing the, the, the 14-year-old over to the Dementors, and he's leaving people <laughs> on the cross, practically, and... It's hard for, like, I can accept this is what happened because it makes so much sense to me and no one's given me an alternative unless Joe tells about it. I can't say that Snape is a good guy anymore because even though yeah. he may not have a choice, he sat there every day and let this happen. Yeah. Here's what I want to see in this fic, which I think, I actually think this will be a flaw in the fic if we don't see it before it's over. Is that, I mean, speak up if you disagree with me, but I think it's pretty clear in canon that Snape was on. I'm not going to say he was a good person, but he was a good guy in the sense he was on the good side, and he was trying to follow Dumbledore's orders. To me, that comes out clear in Deathly Hallows. So then we take this fic, and I can buy two explanations for what Snape's doing here. I can buy one, that he's being really sneaky. Like some of the things that when he whips Neville earlier on, that he's trying to actually get people into the Resistance by being sort of this figure they'll all hate and then they sort of unify against him. And I can also buy, to a certain extent, he has to maintain his cover. You know, if a kid stabs him, he's a death leader, he has to react a certain way. And that's all fine. But what I need to see somewhere in this fic is even if Neville doesn't recognize what he's seeing, I need to be able, as the reader, to see Snape doing something to protect the kids, to show me, the reader, that Snape's on the good side. Even if it's more like, oh, Neville misinterprets this, but oh, I get while he's doing this, this is clear. And if we don't have that moment anywhere in this fic, it's left out and it's it's disappointing to me. But the thing is, I don't think that Snape was ultimately a good character. And I know you're going to disagree with me on that, Mike, but I don't think he was. I think that he wanted Voldemort because Voldemort was controlling his life as much as he was controlling anybody else. I still think he still hated Neville. He still hated Harry. Ron still made him very, very annoyed, and he just wasn't a very pleasant person at all. He wasn't as a child, and I don't think he ever became a pleasant person. He was on the side of light in the end because he wanted to get rid of Voldemort, not because he esteemed Harry, which is why Neville has all that loyalty to Harry, and people like the Weasleys want to do the right thing, you know, and and they're all for truth and justice and and stuff. I don't think Snape was actually like that. 
I Snape? agree with you. That's not what Snape? I'm saying, actually. He's just self-serving. I agree with you because I don't think he likes Neville at all. That's not what I'm saying. He, I don't have to see that he likes Neville or that he wants Neville to succeed in anything. I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that he's a good person, but I need to see clearly proof that he's You want to see evidence of the fact that he's working for Dumbledore. Exactly. Well, that's so. in and Deathly Hallows, and you're yeah. not going to find it in this fic. It's not relevant. That's what I'm meaning about it is he relevant still doesn't like Dumbledore, According he, to the flashbacks, Dumbledore's orders to him are to protect the kids as much as he can. But let me say this, though. In Deathly Hallows, when you look at Snape there... You know, you have Neville describing to the trio when they get to Hogwarts what's been going on. You know, they're torturing people. They brought the Dark Arts back as a class versus defense against the Dark Arts. And the Caros are running discipline in the school. I mean, this is what we were told happened. There's nothing in this story. Right. I have no problem with that. Do you know how he sent Ginny, Neville, and Luna to detention with Hagrid? Right. That's one of the things that sticks out as Snape was actually trying to protect them. And I agreed on that, too. It fits with canon in all the things that Snape did. But what I'm saying is that Snape isn't going to go easy and prove that he's on the right side to Neville because he doesn't give a flying whatever about Neville. And he is probably glad for the chance to take Neville down a couple of notches, especially because Neville's turned into this, you know, leader person and he can recognize it. And Snape is still stuck in the school, babysitting a bunch of kids. He's chafing at both Voldemort's control over him and Dumbledore's control over him, and the fact that he has to protect Harry and help Harry succeed because Snape is a supremely unhappy, unsatisfied person. So he is probably actually, to be quite honest, reveling in the fact to cause a little bit of damage to the kids because they have bugged him for the last however many years that he's had to stay under Dumbledore's protection working to bring down Voldemort. I don't want to see a moment where Snape goes, ha now you hear from me what I've been trying to do all year. I mean, he essentially poisoned Neville. He, you know, yeah. he gave him a strain of the dragon pox and nearly killed him. He didn't have to do that. You know, everyone had the dragon pox. He could have just let Neville get sick for a few days. So why did he do that? Did he want Neville to die? Did he want to make it look like Neville was going to die? Did he want to take Neville out of commission for a little while to slow down the DA so they didn't move too quickly because he didn't want them to be put into danger? You don't know what he was doing, but I can wonder about that. So for me, that's worth it. I almost don't want the answer because I think the story was written well enough that I can extrapolate what I think happened. Well, I guess yeah. here's what I'm saying. I totally agree with you on his, his, his feelings about Neville, his feelings about Harry, etc., which is a good thing to see some ambiguity. I want there to be, even if it's something Neville can't recognize and Neville misinterprets, that we, the reader, can look at and go, oh, look at what Snape did. They're thinking that's evil, but I think that's – you know what I'm saying? I wanted to go both yeah. ways. But see, I don't think Snape is like that. That's what I'm trying to say. Snape's not like – you're not going to find it because it's not there because that's not who Snape is. Yeah, but but Dumbledore character. gives him specific orders in Deathly Hallows. And unless you're telling me you to think To make Snape's sure Harry finishes it. Anything no, outside of that. That's only one of his orders. Game. Let me ask you this. So how many, how many students died in year seven? In Dumbledore's army in the year of darkness, how many students die during the year? Oh. During the year? During the year. During the year? Well, there's that or... Slytherin kid that has to the, go home and Whitby. Yeah. Well, Whitby goes to Azkaban, so this Hannah's dad who presumably makes it. None of the kids do until the end. They don't end. do until the final battle. I mean, so look Snape's at the effect, done his yeah. job. They come yeah, out the, the other the, end. The kids are essentially protected. They're scarred, they're bruised, they're beaten, and they form the militia that they need to form. And it's terribly dangerous, and they're not coddled, and they easily could have been 
killed a hundred times over, but they weren't because Neville was there. But see, to me, that's your clue that Snape's on the side because none of them, apart from a couple, they're not dead. I was happy if we saw something where, like, the Carrows go to kill them and Snape goes... No, there's things much worse than death. Let's tort you know, like no, but that's almost oh, that's too... a bit melodramatic. <laughs> that's plagiarism. That was Dumbledore's line. You can't say that. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Like, I-, I don't need to see him being friendly, but I need to see something where even if it comes across evil to the kids That's just not Snape. I think it is Snape though. But I don't think you need that because we know he's working for Dumbledore because I bought the book. It cost eighteen ninety nine. And to be honest, I think that it is in the fic where Ernie McMillan takes over from that little little Ravenclaw kid. Snape lets it happen. Um, is it Ernie, not Ernie? Terry. Snape lets Terry release the Ravenclaw and get him No, off. it was Michael. He lets Michael, Michael? release him. I am so confused. So many buff young men. Okay, he lets <laughs> that happen. And if that's not a sign to the reader of what Snape's real agenda is, I don't know what is. The little boy would have died up there, I think. Yeah. He would have died, and Snape let Mike take his place. There it is. It's right there. What you're right. asking for is right there. I also believe that Snape knew that Terry would react. Reading the pragmatist, there's no reason that all of these kids should have lived throughout the year. I'm sure there's many of these kids that Voldemort would have wanted killed or sent home. With the death of Dumbledore, you know, safety at Hogwarts ended. Voldemort is in charge now. And it is not safe for these kids anywhere. There's no more coddling of them. And Snape was never into the coddling of the kids. So you're at Hogwarts now. I'm going to try my best to make sure you're not killed, but that's about it. And if I don't come down ridiculously hard on each and every one of you, they're going to take me out as Headmaster, and good luck with Headmaster Caro. I don't think he needs to say there are things worse than death, because I think if 20 students died under his watch and 230 lived, he would say, you know, he did his part. I think he did the best he could. I think I think what he did do, organize the DA. I don't think Neville ever... Qu- no one questions in this fic whether or not Snape is a good guy or a bad guy. They all say he's a bad guy. I guess the question I would have for you then, based just reading this fic, would you be able to accept what Harry says? Yeah. yeah. As you as the reader, not you as Neville. When Harry says that Snape is actually a good guy? Well, yeah, when he goes on about, you know, like Snape's memory, you know, like at some, at some point he has a conversation about Snape's memories. He's following Dumbledore's orders to really protect you guys. Not that will Neville believe him, but are you able to accept that based on reading this story? As the reader? Based on reading yes. this story? Yeah, because, yes. yeah, yeah, because the first thing I would say is actually nobody dies under Snape's headmastership. I mean, he does keep everyone yeah. alive. And if, if someone, if Harry says it and Harry takes this truth, I have no reason to doubt it. So, you know, if, if a Death Eater said that Snape was working for you, I probably wouldn't believe it. But if Harry says it, I have no evidence to the contrary. And if I trust Harry, sure, I'll believe it. Okay. And the thing which I really love about this is it's, it's so easy to say that when you read uh, Deathly Hallows and you read those two lines about how it's been a very difficult year and they beat us and yada, 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 that's great. Snape's obviously a good guy. But to actually read a story like this and then to come across and saying that Snape is a good guy is a lot harder. And there's no contradiction between them. So I think that that really, I think the fact that we're having this conversation is a good thing because it's making us question our own, you know, interpretations of the canon, which I think is always a good thing. Hoorah. 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 My other question, (laughs) now that we've had all that long depth conversation, my other question is, you know, when um, uh, Neville, his name's Neville, I can't remember, Neville, Terry, Michael, I don't know who these people are anymore. Neville is relieved of command 
and it's Malfoy that comes and tells him about it. And I was sitting there thinking, what is Malfoy's motivation here? Does he just hate Ginny and the Weasleys that much? No. Or is, is think, it because Ginny was – I haven't finished. Or Sorry. is it because <laughs> – <laughs> Or is it because Ginny was Harry's and he hates Harry that much? Is it because he's having second thoughts? Like, what is Malfoy's motivation there for spilling the beans to Neville or what they're about to do? He is Draco Malfoy, and the Malfoys are on Voldemort's shit list. And he, Draco, has no power. Like, he was drinking before he went to Neville for help. He has his back to the wall. Now, Neville Longbottom, the squib, is the commander of an army. Yeah. So Neville has all of the power that Draco justly deserves. So he gets an opportunity to rub it in Neville's face that all of his friends, and you know, on Potter's side, you know, all the people who are supposedly good and so great and brave and strong, they're going to fire you. How I read it, and I'm biased pro Draco, obviously, but I guess to me how I read it is that, I guess at this point, I think the things going on in Draco's life, I'm basing this on my impression of Draco and Canon. He's a little bit beyond the whole I hate Harry Ginny thing. Not that he likes them, but like... No, he's not just Harry sort of, Ginny. I'm not talking as a... No, I'm not Harry I'm and Ginny, I'm saying. I view it more as the way Draco views the world. I think that he's trying to help Neville because he's trying to get in with that side a little bit. I think we see signs... Oh, what a Hold on, hold on. Can you just finish? Hold on, no, hold on, hold on. I just need to do something. I just need to do something. Hold on. (laughs) I have sufficiently head dust. Please continue with your point. Okay. Uh, But I think what the author's doing, which is really smart, is that Draco's way of trying to be nice, because he he has these, you know, social whatever problems, his way of trying to help. Neville is this comes off as kind of like this sort of smarmy politically kind of like you know like So uh, so why? what you're saying what you're saying is that Draco Malfoy has no social graces whatsoever and he's trying to get in with Neville because he's trying to be nice not cuz cuz he wants to cover he he's worried at this point I I don't think Draco at this point particularly wants Voldemort to win. I think he's just scared out of his mind and he wants to survive. And he thinks that by helping Neville, he's sort of covering his bases a little bit. For selfish reasons, I think he means well. I don't think there's any, like, duplicity or meanness in him telling Neville. I think he's just... He's mean to Neville! That's just how Draco talks. Mike... (sighs) I was really happy with how the author handled Draco, because that's how I read it. You really did, didn't you? I was just saying that all the excuses that he was giving Neville, it made me question his motivation. I'm like, Draco gets nothing. He gets nothing out of telling Neville that they're about to ditch him as a leader. He picks on Ginny and he picks on Harry. I'm like, is he just that petty? No. Because he doesn't get anything from telling Neville that. Like, what is in it for Draco? Absolutely nothing. So I didn't understand. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. The news hit him like a physical blow, and he actually staggered a step back. They can't, said Neville. Oh, they certainly can. It was unanimous, actually. Malfoy was reveling in every syllable. So this is Draco delivering the unhappy news with a sneer. So is it really just to watch Neville squirm? So he's reveling in every syllable because he's socially awkward. And wants Neville to be happy. 
He's not your little friend, Abbott. <laughs> Apparently, they've finally seen that you're a head case, that he means it with love. Though I could have told them that years ago. You're being dumped tomorrow at the next one of your little meetings, and that ginger-headed blood traitor, means it with love, thinks she's taking over, just because she was snogging the Great One, I suppose. Neville swore, pushing past Malfoy to the door. The sarcastic drawl followed him. Don't I get a thank you? So in your mind, this is Draco being helpful. It's similar to what we said with Snape, where I, I think Draco's doing it for selfish reasons, that he wants to sort of, you know, like if he's ever put on trial, well, you know, I tried to pass information on to Dumbledore's army. And that, I think that's sort of his motivation. So it's you're saying he already helpful. knows that they're going to lose? No, I think he's uh, covering his bases, which I guess for the non-baseball Australians means he's, uh, he, he's like, you know, I he know wants... I what covering your bases is. I'm not that stupid. Fight me. <laughs> well, that's how I read it. It's, it's that, you know, he doesn't like Neville. He doesn't like Ginny. He doesn't like Harry. But at this point, he's got bigger things on his mind, and he's trying to make sure. Let me I'm going to go with Mike, that... let me ask you a question. If there were a bomb on the Hogwarts Express... And Draco, in a sarcastic drawl, told them there was a bomb on the Hogwarts Express, so they might not all be killed. I could somehow go with you here. He decides to get in good with Neville to humiliate him and have, you know, very delicate private news come from, you know, a sworn enemy. When this news is nothing life-threatening, and something he's going to hear in a few hours anyway. Ah, but see, the difference is Draco doesn't understand how Neville thinks. Draco's mind, if Draco's in Neville's position, he'd want to hear this, not so he could accept it, but so he could fight it. So he's trying to, try to like blackmail people or whatever to keep his position. He doesn't understand how Neville's mind works, that Neville would ever just accept this. And you know, So Draco Malfoy, who wants power, and Neville has the power, is giving Neville an opportunity to retain his power? Right, because he knows that's that's the point. Why would Draco Malfoy give Neville Longbottom an opportunity to retain power that rightly belongs to Draco Malfoy? Mike, I love to prove my point. There's some days I don't understand how your brain works. This is what I'm still curious about Malfoy's motivation. I I think I'm going to go with theory. This is why the author is so brilliant. I think it is. I need a break. He's brilliant, but for other reasons. I'll be back in a moment when I've composed myself. My brain hurts. All Draco cares about is personal power, and he is so he assumes that's all that Neville will care about. So just like hates Neville, but he's not doing this because he likes Neville. He's doing this because he's expecting payback if somehow. Let me put it this way: Neville is Richard Nixon. He has hours left before he is removed from office. If Draco wants power, and Draco wants to suck up to those with power, wouldn't Draco want to suck up to Ginny, considering that she will be in charge of Dumbledore's army in a few hours? Why would he suck up to the person who is about to be dethroned? Two reasons. First of all, I compare Neville more to Bill Clinton before his impeachment. Oh my god. So Neville is sleeping with a cadet. I honestly feel Draco thinks that if Neville knows about this, Neville can stop this. So who wore the blue dress? 
I don't want to go there. I, I, I have a feeling Colin's camera is going to come into this. Well, put it this way. If nothing else, the fact that we could have this sort of debate and view Draco in these different lights is a testament to the talent of the author. Mike, but I think you're the only person on the planet who read it that way. I we'll ask him in his interview, and I, we'll see who he agrees with. Draco is a jackass. He really is. That's why he told him, because he's a jackass. And he has... Pattern baldness. And he probably has a small penis, too. Things wrong with pattern baldness. I'm sure I'll have it, too, in about 10, 15 years. I agree, though, that Draco has a very small penis. Alright, looking back at my notes here, because that was interesting. Is it wrong that I was totally aroused by that? Um, Points (laughs) to catch up on here. Um, We have Hannah in the house on the holodeck that she wants to live in with Neville. Neville wants to live (laughs) in the house with her, too. Uh, he begins to, what looks like, propose to Hannah. Hannah says, please don't propose to me. I would say yes, but then I would have to kill you. He says, I'm not going to propose to you, but thanks for asking. Great scene. He gives her, uh, Alice's orchid, which he, you know, she wears as a necklace. It's in the little bubble that will preserve it forever. And I just thought that was a great little moment. Live for me. And you know what I like? I like how when they make up afterwards... And she basically shows him that she's still wearing it at yeah. that point. And yep. Neville's like, oh. <laughs> Did you notice how in Chapter 14 it made me crack myself up when they were, you know, like, getting it on with, you know, like, Latin plant names for each other? Is that like a turn-on <laughs> for you? Like- Neville had had a flirt by talking cabology. <laughs> Woohoo! done! Anyone watch The West Wing? No. Yes, a little. There's an episode where their president is, after his election, is, is having a quiet evening with his wife, and he's going over all the states he won. I don't want to intimidate you, but it turns out I'm the first Democrat in 20 years to make a clean sweep of the plain states. And I'm not just talking about Iowa and Nebraska. Are you trying to turn me on now? Yeah. All right. I won the Dakotas, the Badlands, the Black Hills. But let's go down, way down to the deep south and the humid bayou of Louisiana and its nine electoral votes. And she walks out wearing just his shirt. What manner of man it must take to win the state. Which, by the way, is the only one operating under the Napoleonic Code of France. And I still don't know what that's all about, but back to me. And she's like, Hun, this is like nerd hot talk. Who's your commander-in-chief? You are. Yes. And do the ladies like him? Oh, yes. To the tune of 58%. (laughs) 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 Which I love. I think it's great. One thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Colin refuses to perform the Cruciatus Curse on Jack in Caro's class and completely stands up to Caro, and Caro uses every line of the book, and Colin will not have it. And Neville is so proud and says, I would have done just the same thing if I were in your case, and Seamus is like, you do just the same thing. Fearlessly, there is a moron. To which point, Neville brings up the fact that he, I, I think it would have been great if he actually said this. Seamus, if you remember back in chapter one, <laughs> you were the one that made the incest joke and it's started this whole damn thing. Flunk <laughs> <laughs> a point to the fact that the only reason that the Wizarding World survived was because of Dumbledore's army. The only reason Dumbledore's army survived was because of Neville. The only reason there was a Dumbledore's army was because of Seamus and the incest joke. Meaning that the Caros in their incestuous nature is the only reason that good prevailed. That's a really good six degrees of separation. Excellent. Didn't you explain to Neville why they chuck him 
and Pavati was just made of so much awesome there. Like I just I like the girls in this figure. Like I think he's done a really good job. Very even. It's very a lot of girl power, which is very exciting. Um, and I love when Ginny said you're worse than Harry, laying the blame on yourself. It made me chuckle. But the bit I really liked is this chapter 15 when Neville's going through his trunk and he's looking through all that stuff. And I'll just read it here. The pieces of his father's broken wand he kept as well as the old rememberal still blinking feebly in a vain effort to remind him of something forgotten years ago. That he kept not for his gran, but for Harry, though he knew his old friend would probably never see it. And I just was like, oh, that is, I just love that because it just shows his loyalty to Harry. It's just awesome attention to detail that what that broken wand and the rememberal means and the bond that Neville has with Harry is just almost I would say indescribable, but I think it's described just perfectly just there. So I just wanted to say that I loved that part of that chapter. And the fact that that's the bond that he has with Harry, and think of how important Harry is to Neville, but then think of Harry that we read in the canon. How important is Neville to Harry? Like, he has that wonderful moment in uh, The End of Order of the Phoenix where Neville comes to his rescue and he realizes in, in Haplod Prince that he's the person he wants to sit with in the carriage. But it's Ron and Hermione, and there's no real question there. So there's also a sense of sadness there, too, that for all these years Neville has been looking up to someone who didn't think of him in, in the same way back. And there's yeah. um, references to that you know, throughout the chapters, too, with, with Hannah. Has anyone ever taken care of you, Neville? And he has. he's had Grand, but Grand has been... Not even a parent. She's been a guardian who's been disappointed in him, not because of who he was, but because he was not being himself. And I don't think was, she's disappointed in him. I took that she was disappointed in the fact that he had this potential. Well, not only that. I mean, everyone has potential. I could have the potential to be a great piano player, but if I hate the piano, I'm not going to do it. You know, and you can't be disappointed in me. You know, in that because I'm just. No one has any right to tell me how to exercise my potential. But when someone's not being themselves and they're fighting their own true nature, that is something you can be disappointed in them in. And I think this year is the year that, that Neville is really, you know, he, you know, let Neville be Neville and he's being himself. And that I think makes Grand tremendously proud of him. It's almost the persona. It's the commander. The commander of Dumbledore's army is, is, who she sees Neville as being destined to be, this person who is his father's son, and you can just tell the tremendous pride she has when every time she, you know, says goodbye to him, you know, if you need to, if you need to die, I will never have been more proud of you. And she has that great message to him in in the in the in the note that she sends to him um, at some point in these chapters. I love Grant's interaction with Neville, which starts off when she totally decks him. Love that. that. I love that too. I that was totally great. Grand pawns him. She does. <laughs> and then she totally beats the crap out of Dolish. And she's like, <laughs> I was waiting for her to be like, he will one day begin to read on a third grade level again. <laughs> I, I want to <laughs> go back for a second to uh, Neville and Harry because I don't know if anyone else kind of read this or looked at it the way I did. But as I was reading through this, and Neville's bringing up, you know, how he's thinking of her as just being a guardian and. You know, they're, they're saying, well, who took care of you? And, and, you know, you know, the author is drawing parallels between Neville and Harry. I think we start to see that Neville is starting to realize that he's much, much more like Harry, I guess, in definition than what he ever thought 
And yet, as two people, they're very, very different. And I think that he's starting to accept himself for who he is and that he's more important than what he previously thought. Grand sees Neville as the commander. And Neville is the person who could be the commander. But he's her grandson. And and, and he's at his full potential. And that's what makes her proud. And when you look at Harry and Neville, you have two people with an extraordinary task that they need to perform to save the world, more or less. And Harry sees it as the ultimate burden, this one he's willing to accept, and it's one he takes very seriously, and it's one that he'll sacrifice his own life for. But if he could do anything in the world, like if he had that, you know, that magic genie bottle, you know, at any point, he would want this just to be over. He wouldn't want someone else to have to fight it for him, but he would want this just to be over. He wants to be, you know, Harry Potter, you know, pizza delivery guy. <laughs> and, you know, just live, you know he, he doesn't want it. Whereas you have Neville, who, for all intents and purposes, is a nobody all of his life, who because of his inner strength is thrust into this situation where he is now the commander of Dumbledore's army and it's something he's good at and it's something that defines him and he takes it you know as seriously as Harry does if not more but the problem is Harry never defines himself as the chosen one like when we all saw the preview of the movie hey she's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one but I am the chosen one okay sorry we're all like, but Harry isn't the chosen one. Harry doesn't see himself as the chosen one. Bad. <laughs> Bad. And, and Neville also points that out to himself when Harry and Ron and Hermione come through Ariana's portrait. You know, he looks at him and he's like, who is this? You know, this is, who is this kid? You know, and that's, yeah. get, that's getting, you know, ahead of the chapters where we are. But the thing, too, is that now that Harry's back, will Harry take over? Neville is very humiliated. Well, he's angry at his other lieutenants for removing him from command. And he thinks, you know, I'm sure I'm I'm absorbing this burden. How dare you take this away from me? But on some level, they're basically saying you suck and we we can't have you do this. And this is the only thing he's ever been really good at other than plants. (laughs) And it's the only (laughs) thing important he's ever been good at. And, And it's humiliating and they're taking it away from him. But also more than telling him he's failed, this is all he is. And he like practically cries, please don't take this away from me. It's all I have. And just compare that to Harry. It's the complete role reversal there. Would you yeah. say that the difference between Harry and Neville stems from Gran in that Harry doesn't have anyone like Gran in his life and that Gran sort of sets like the expectation for Neville on who he should be and what he should do? I think Harry sets the expectation for Neville, to be well, honest. Well, they're two different people. They're two different people. And Harry had burden first... And then he started to live, and then he started to live. He wanted to live more, and he wanted to o- to overcome the burden so he could keep on living. Whereas Neville lived, and it was unremarkable, and then he found something he was good at. And once you find a role for yourself that you're good at, you're very threatened when someone tries to take it away from you. And there's a lot... Um, I haven't made a Battlestar Galactica comment tonight, and for that I apologize. <laughs> yes, you have. Uh, you have brought up Battlestar Galactica. Well, I don't remember it. So there's an episode where um, you have, you know, you have the president who was, you know, a, a government bureaucrat who, because of some extraordinary circumstance, you know, 
ended up becoming the president. It's something she never expected. She never ran and, for it. And all of a sudden, she's the president. And just and, in case the audience at large does not know who that is, that would be Laura Roslin. That would be President Laura Roslin. Because and, he hasn't told you that 27,000 times in go. the last 85 episodes. Thanks. Thanks so much, my friend. So you have President Laura Roslin, who never wanted to be president, but she is. And you have Commander Adama, who never wanted to be this military commander, He, but he became the head of humanity, for all intents and purposes. Until they find a ship with his boss on it. And all of a sudden, the boss is calling all the shots. And he has gone from being the head of the world to the guy who you know, supplies her with her stuff and makes sure her stuff is organized. He lost all of his power. And War Roslin is like, are you okay with that? He's like, absolutely. You know, I've, I've done my piece, but now I'm ready to step down. I'm just a common soldier. And Laura says, you know what? There were days I would have given anything for them to have found the president alive so I didn't have to carry this burden. But you know what? And it goes unspoken. Now that it's hers, that's who she is. So how do you be Neville and how do you define yourself by this role you have? And then either A, have it taken away from you or B, have Harry Potter walk out of the wings and take it back. I thought that was very natural because if I were in that position and I were someone who had taken command and had built something and created something, I'd be very protective of it. Because on some level, yeah, you're doing it for them, but on some level, this is your baby. I mean, you you don't want someone stepping in and and taking over your thing. You feel a sense of ownership to it, and they took it away from them. So it's it's the double whim. It's the, you suck, you can't do it, you sucked at it, and it's the, we're taking away the only thing. And I think when it comes to Harry coming back for Neville, he's conflicted with that. Because he looks up to Harry so much. I think that's why he he was looking and waiting for Harry to come back. Not because he wanted to give it up, but because he looks up to Harry so much. And so his first impression is like, why doesn't Harry look like the hero that he's supposed to be? He is looking forward to Harry coming back. But the reality of Harry is not what he's built him up to be. You can see in this thing when he's, he keeps the things for Harry and he, he is doing all this for Harry and he's found this thing that he's good at. I'm just saying that he's, he's built it up in his mind and I think that's the same thing um, with this take getting the commander thing taken away from him, that you have pictures in your mind of how you feel about how things are supposed to be and when you're confronted with the reality and it doesn't match up that's a really hard adjustment to make so if he's thinking i love how seamus calls him fearless leader and that's who he sees himself as and he sees himself as doing the right thing all the time and all the people are looking up to him and he's got this picture built up of who neville the commander is and who the people are around him who Ginny is that she backs him up and all this kind of stuff and he really does have it in their mind, like that he's waiting for Harry to come back. It's not that he wants Harry to take over. I think he gets confronted by that a bit later on. He's like, oh, I don't want Harry to take back over. But he ultimately is doing all that. And then for them to turn around and go, oh, you know, you're a bit on the knife edge there, a bit mental. Let's, um, You have to step down. That's not the picture and, Neville had. But I think they were right to take him down too, though, because they, they hit the nail oh, on the head. Yeah. That at that point for him, it's about revenge. Think about how tough they are with it too. I mean, like he had one of his own taken out of the, of the, the great hall right in front of him and he is you know he he responds explosively to it 
and he gets really pissed, and he's breaking everything, and he's pushing himself really hard. Like I said earlier, I expected someone to walk in, slap him, have a heart-to-heart with him, and get back to work. I was very surprised that they took command away from him, and they, they kept it away from him for a very long time. It wasn't like, you know, they gave him a couple weeks to get his head together, or he had, like, you know, a cry fest on the floor of the Gryffindor common room and then came back. He was on suspension for, like, seven months. Like, this was, like, he was out of commission for a very long time. We get to the point, obviously, where it's discovered that, you know, Harry, Ron, and, and Hermione were captured, and they were taken to Malfoy Manor. We find this out through um, Pansy Parkinson's younger sister, and um, Neville and Hannah devised this brilliant method of finding out <laughs> if the Weasleys were taken, because of course now Ron is a fugitive. The fact that they couldn't figure out that Ron was with Harry in canon always gets me. Uh, <laughs> so that, that makes no sense. So they find well, out... Some, because some, Ron was supposedly at home with the Spadagroit, and I why, suspect that a lot of them believed that. Like, the fact that the Death Eaters, at their, at their morning staff meeting over the Dunkin' Donuts coffee and scones and full continental breakfast, the fact that no one said why don't we just blow up the borough? It's really, like, the, it's just a pain in the ass. Bill Weasley has warded it to within an inch of its life. Don't exactly. you know that by now? Exactly. He's the best curse breaker in the land. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay, so we decided we can't blow up the borough. So then, of Wait, course... I, need, I need to talk about Neville and Hannah. Okay. Well, maybe not just Neville. Well, not okay. Let me just finish my thought, please. Let me just finish. I have, How many uh, thoughts do you have? Oh, so many. And can I just tell you? Can I just tell you? Last week's episode. I'm listening to it today at work, and Rin is going on for a while, and then she's like, "But I don't want to be like Ryan. Would anyone else like to speak?" I'm like, "Oh, head down." <laughs> All right. Yeah, hurry up and finish because I want to talk about Neville and Hannah too. Okay, so they go into the they go into the they go into the pub and and they're afraid that Anna will get drunk and they find the drunk guy and unfortunately the car is right there so they get shot and they're sentenced to death and Neville is like made of awesome and he's basically like kill me it will not hurt and and the kid is like we need to kill you now and he's like fine would you like me to drive and and they get to and, and Percy's jotting this all down and, I love this and, next bit I love the next bit yeah I have a question for you Ryan well hold on I, I have to get my thought out because I'm talking too much so then Percy's there and he's writing it all down and Umbridge is there and I want to kill her because Umbridge is, is basically she is she is making excuses for alcoholism <laughs> So then they decide they're going to they're going to be shot at dawn or hung at noon or they're gonna they're basically gonna kill them all. And Neville's like taunting them. He's like, "Oh, you want to make sure you know none of mine or my kind or how many kill me because it'll be hard to control my last words." And then he's like, "Well, all my last words will be." He's like, "I think I'll give them a significant glance." So then Neville is walking down with the head and the other guy, and they meet Hannah, and Hannah is like, "Neville." Please don't make jokes. They're about to hang me. And Neville's like, it won't hurt, I promise. And she's like, how the hell do you not want to hurt? So then, <laughs> I love the next bit, though. He's going, it's going to be okay. It doesn't hurt. And she's like, okay, they're going to cut off my heads. We need those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I, for a minute, I thought they were going to be hung. That's correct. Oh, no, oh, no they were going to be beheaded. You're right, because they were going to be beheaded because they always would ask Nick what it was like. And Nick that's was like, oh, good. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> his head is hanging off his body. He's like, spine. You got nothing to worry about, kids. So, luckily, Percy is Victor Crumb. Huh? And he flies them out on his broom. Huh? 
because of a typo on the Death Eaters part, <laughs> because of basically a PR stunt, they now have to let Neville back into Hogwarts, which I think is totally ridiculous, but whatever. <laughs> so, so that whole thing happens, and I don't know why I was telling that story. You totally cut me off. You cut me off. I want to talk about Crumb because I think it's really cool that when they ask him why he's there, he's doing it for Cedric because Hannah's a Hufflepuff, and I think that's fantastic. It is. It is. While we're on that topic, though, I did have... Uh, on what Ryan just said, though, I did have a couple of comments in my notes that I wanted to touch on. Two things. I was first. first. I don't mind if you go first. I'm just the same topic, though. But you can go first if you want. Go for it. Go Gen 2. I can't. I'm crying. No. Was it my retelling of the wonderful scene that got you for Clint? No. Okay. When they go transfiguring each other all the time, they go, you know, for intel and, and they you know switch each other's books and they polyjuice and they stretch each other why is it that they always have to be the sister why can't they just be like some death theater camp following slut because wouldn't that be more <laughs> wouldn't that this be is my mom <laughs> i take her everywhere wouldn't that be more in character? Bellatrix has got a monopoly on that role. That's why. Because <laughs> wouldn't that be more in character? You know, if you're going into a bar, you know, you're just going to take your sister. This is my second cousin, Gertrude. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say, oh, she can only have wine because she... <laughs> can you picture? They're in the seediest bar ever. Like, it literally makes so she's the like, hog's head she's like, look like a fine establishment, and Neville's like, I'll have fire whiskey, put some dust in it, and about my sister here, um, bring her Merlot. She'll, don't, like, she'll, it's like, have Merlot. she'll have some elf-made white, and I want some fire whiskey neat. And Hannah's like, oh, are you sure you should? And I'm thinking, they're in a Death Eaters bar. <laughs> the, the fact it's hard to believe they got captured is Neville goes into like the, they're in they're in Nocturne Alley in like the seediest of the seediest of the seediest place and Neville practically orders a Shirley Temple well and, and, and then the whole conversation that he has in the pub has me screaming at him dumbass dumbass <laughs> it works it works they yeah but only because the other guy was drunk <laughs> oh, by the way, I got burnt by Charlie Weasley, you know. Oh, by the way, I I have something that I want to take up with two more Weasleys. Um, you know, it's like how many Weasleys, how many Weasleys did he have a problem with? There's a <laughs> leading the leading the conversation is just like screaming, "I want information on the Weasleys." <laughs> Well, the thing that kills me is like, like I used to watch um, Babylon Five on TV, and on one of the episodes, they're, they're on an alien planet, and they're looking for you know, the weapons the aliens are using against the human ships. Let's say, and so there's two guys who are walking around the planet trying to find it, and they're essentially in like the middle of a marketplace, and they wander around a corner, and they open the door, and there are the weapons. So you need to tell me if I go to the local mall and pass Best Buy, I could find like nuclear warheads because they're. They're not, like, on military bases. They're just in public 
commerce areas. So the thing that kills me is, okay, we need to find out what the Death Eaters did. Yeah, but he does, and then he just keeps talking. But they go to the bar, and they find the random drunk guy, and he knows where the Weasleys are. How much of a secret is it if the drunk guy at the local bar... No, but, what I'm saying, but, but what I'm saying is the drunk guy tells them, and he just keeps talking. The drunk guy says that they got away. I just say, oops, I just bar. got... I just... Voldemort just called me. Gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> right I out. just love that the knowledge was that readily available. That they could go up to the, like, the drunk guy in the sewer and be like, where are the weasels? Well, no, we couldn't find them. <laughs> like, it's that easy. <laughs> He's like, oops, oops, we, they got away. We trashed their house. I'd just be like, oops, sis, gotta go. I'm having gastrointestinal distress. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. The minute they're captured, there's this tense scene where they're all aiming their wands at each other, and all of a sudden, Neville just lets one rip. (laughs) He found out what he needed to know. Get the hell out of the place. But no, they had to keep talking, and then they're just going to get beheaded. Hello? He almost got his head whacked off. It's all right, Jitsu. It doesn't hurt. It's okay. (laughs) We need those. It's her head. They need those. Well, then we have a very sad scene, actually. Wait, before we go on, can I make some comments about the scenes you just talked about? One about Mulsabar, one about Percy. That's the drunk guy, by the way. I could be mispronouncing his name, but it's M-U-L. Mulsabar. We're not going to have any, like, Slytherin characterization commentary about Mulsabar, are we? No, the comment about Mulsabar is I think pay attention to him now. And then pay attention to him in the chapters we read later on, because I know it's just a small bit, but I thought what the author did really well at showing how almost like how the Death Eaters cope with being such horrible, evil people. Yeah, um, they go to they go to bars and they get yeah passed thought, out slobbering drunk. Because like in this chapter, he's a slovenly drunk, but later on, he's like this badass evil Death Eater ripping things apart, and I'm like, well, he's so damn. Yeah, so I, I, but I thought it was interesting that he showed which, show which proves the drunk. point that he's stupid because. He went to a bar. He had like six or seven drinks because Neville notices there's six or seven glasses on the table, points it out and goes, oh, that dude's drunk. <laughs> Let's go question him. So he gets slobbering drunk. He spills the beans. If you were a smart Death Eater, you wouldn't go get drunk in a public place and let someone interrogate you. <laughs> and my Percy questions are twofold. On the first part, I was kind of reading his stalling. And so when he's being like all nitpicky about like, you know, like, please state his full name, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking to myself, this is Percy. Like, you know, he's clearly already regretting a little bit his choices. And he's trying to be like as difficult as he can be in his Percy-ish sort of way. Without have you regret. never been to court? My impression was that he didn't have to say that. He was like kind of like going the extra mile. Well, he's not stalling. I mean, they're not, they're going to execute him the following day. Not, not to stall, just to were... piss the Death Eaters off a little bit in kind of like a way he won't get caught. He's being a clerk. That's what clerks yeah. do. Maybe I'm giving him too much of a benefit of a doubt, but I was like, oh, yeah. maybe Percy's means well. Because he, he had to think, like, you know, he can't... He didn't well, he called Victor Crumb, so he means well, but he continues to be a pain. He's a stickler for the rules. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I know he's a stickler for the rules, but I figured maybe he was, like, using that as an excuse to grind it to them. He's going to bore them to death? <laughs> no, not like bore them to death, but sort of like the equivalent of, like, a school prank. Like, they're not going to think anything Stupid unusual. Prank. So I'm going to bore them and piss them off. Because <laughs> they do, they get pissed off at them. They're like, yes! Oh, my my phone is He reads them the Bible until their heads explode. <laughs> What's your second question? Crumb being there, does that mean, are we reading that as Percy is the one to call Crumb? He was sort of in on that? Yes. Yes. 
there's something in the book, in the actual reading I missed, or is that just our interpretation? Crumb says that Percy called him, so the reference to Percy being locked up in his apartment was staged so that Percy could have cover. Yes. yes. It's an alibi for Percy. Hey, that's really big for me that I called all that. Yeah. Well, Crumb <laughs> is unfortunately killed thereafter, and I do love what, I think it was what Kessa said earlier, that they did this in, in Cedric's name. And I love that throughout these chapters. The Hufflepuffs joined the DA because of Cedric, and they carved Cedric's name into the wall and for Cedric... I, th- I just think that's really good, especially in the Zachariah Smith scene that comes up a little bit later. Oh, I think it noise made one little prick. Oh, I, I made this. call it the state of awesome right there. I'm the secret keeper! Ha! But I, I still don't think that Colin read the manual, but I just want to say one thing really fast first. So now you have the fact that Gran gets the memo that Neville's going to be killed. So when Neville, of course, flies to see Gran, Gran beats the shit out of him. I know. Oh, Gran is awesome. Exactly. She's like, do you need money? And then she wishes the commander well, salutes, and then he leaves. It's like, she chucks him out, and Auntie's sitting there going, it's alright, you have a home with us, Neville, how could you do this? And she's like, you're stupid, that's a tactical error, you idiot! (laughs) The thing I love about Gran is, Gran is like, she literally is like, that's a tactical error. I'm like, I'm Miss Gran in the military. (laughs) The thing that I really love is Hannah's father, who she hasn't been close to since Hannah's mother was killed. They've been on the outs. Um, Hannah's father gets the leather that Hannah's going to be killed. So he goes ballistic, and he ends up getting himself locked in Azkaban. And as a result, because their family home is now undefended, the house is raided, and all of Hannah's mother's stuff is taken. So Hannah collapses like in on herself as a result of that she you know can't believe that neville just won't leave her alone she begins referring to everything of her mummies and she you know reverts back to being a child and then she just gets smeared in placenta goo and everything is fine and neville is like what the hell just happened i don't get it and he's looking at ernie like you were wonderful yeah. because there's nothing more romantic than baby cheese well, you know what <laughs> When you get that far down... I think that you people... You people are just not understanding this moment. You're terrible it's people. It's a the beautiful moment of how life... fixes everything. Didn't you know that? And even though life goes on... <laughs> yes, the birth of babies. It fixes everything. When, when mine was born, I was all very moved and I cried. And sometimes I still cry and I feel so lucky. And la, la, la. But <laughs> you can't even see the damn things. <laughs> it's you like, can see the pups. <laughs> no, you can only see them because they were wrapped in placenta. Were little gray things. No, because they were wrapped in the egg sac or whatever. Yeah, but there's nothing more heartwarming than slimy little babies, Gen 2. Come on. No, there's nothing (laughs) is heartwarming. There's nothing is heartwarming is the spit of Jenny Weasley (laughs) dried into the floor of a prison cell for months. Because here's the thing. When we had that scene earlier, when we had the scene earlier, when they were in the cells, Luna's got her spoon, which she's using to, 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 you know, as a wand. She can break of it any time because she has a spoon. And she's painting with mustard, and Jenny's in her cell, and she just spits. I thought to myself at the time, that spit is going to be very important. And I also love when Lavender, she's like, Ugh, I hate spicy things. <laughs> Jenny is spicy. <laughs> and you have the moment where the twins mail the cards 
to presumably Jenny, so they need to. But wasn't that no, Oliver? Oliver Wood? It's, no, it's, it's Oliver was Wood. That, Oliver, Oliver Wood sent it to all his mates on the Gryffindor Quidditch team, and it takes, I think, it's a Ravenclaw to figure out that none of his old Gryffindor team are at Hogwarts. <laughs> 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 think about it. <laughs> I love that bit too. It's hard to believe they have to smuggle crap in in Ginny's underwear, but you know what? <laughs> what th- this oh, is just oh speaking of Ginny's underwear, when they're looking for the stuff for, for to Polyjuice, and they turn around to Michael, they go, Ginny's all over the castle. Didn't you keep a pair of her knickers when you were dating? Come on! <laughs> 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 we're walking around find something of Ginny Weasley somewhere. <laughs> Who thinks that Michael and Terry make the best gay couple ever? <laughs> I do, I do, I do, I do. No, they're not gay. But aren't they like, like all clinging to each other, like weeping with each other? They're tight. Okay. Like they're like brothers. Which chapter is it where they're talking about Neville, and then they say something about they need to take better care of Neville and watch his back, and then one of the fourth year says, "Well, I'll, I'll volunteer to watch Neville's behind or something," and. He's like, no, that won't be necessary. I'm not even sure it's in. I'm not even sure it's in these chapters. <laughs> it's the point where Neville becomes a sex symbol. That is just. It's a very meaningful moment for both him and for the fic. <laughs> so you have Terry and Michael holding hands, running to the basement to find the spit of Ginevra Weasley. Boom! Bye, and Zacharias Smith decides to hand in his letter of recommendation because I've been thinking But he's right to do that. I was like, I was so, I was so. Oh like, my God, Mike, you're 0 for 5. No, wait, wait, never... The line, what I wrote in my notes, I actually wrote this in my notes. Hold on. Just like not every bad person is a Death Eater, not every good person has to be in the DA of the order. And he's 100% right when Neville's planning a suicide stand. He, Neville specifically says that at the beginning, that if, that if Harry's not back, we have no hope of winning, but we'll fight anyway, so we give them a good wounding. That's like the official plan. What's the alternate plan? Right, but but like, that's like a 50% chance right now. They're thinking that we're just going to commit suicide, basically. Not it's not that a weather report. Not that, I mean... not that <laughs> what Neville's doing isn't brave, and not that it's not even the right thing to do, but I don't think that you can say Smith is like some sort of like evil, horrible... Per- He's not an evil, horrible person. You know, like, like if you don't personally aren't able at the age of, you know, 17 to, to do, take part in what's almost a semi-suicide mission. That doesn't mean you're a bad person or, like, worthy of our scorn or that you're not a good guy or you're not still going to do your best He's to yellow. hurt Voldemort. He's yellow. Zachariah Smith is yellow. He's a yeah, and he, and he made Colin do some demented shit to his hand with his wand just to prove a point. You have a chance to stand by your friends or not. And he chose not to stand by his friends because he chose that his life was much more important to him, even though there's a good chance he'd lose his life at the end of the year. Let me put it this way. I'm an honest enough person to say that if I was in that situation, I'd be Zachary Smith. I'd, I'd walk out. Like you're a Slytherin. The Slytherins left Hogwarts at the end of Deathly Hallows rather than stay and fight Right, but I'm, I'm talking like I'm not really a Slytherin, just, you know, in real life. Oh, I'm yes, you are. Mike, trust <laughs> me. You trust are. me. You're a Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, like, in real because life, it's that- <laughs> tactically more sound to save your own skin. I'm thinking that Zachariah Smith, along with Severus Snape, was sorted too soon because he is clearly not a Hufflepuff. Because otherwise, he would be standing shoulder to shoulder with Neville Longbottom for Cedric. Yeah, for Cedric, that goes Cedric. out the window. 
you know, the whole thing where, you know, you don't need to do this, Ernie, and then they, they see uh, Susan's belly, and they see the baby, and he says, I do have to do this, and he's still like, well... I'm not fighting. I'm not complaining about how the DA reacts to him because I can understand, like, you know, they're risking their lives and they're pissed off he isn't. But as the reader, I have to say, I don't think what Smith did was either unreasonable or makes him a bad person or even makes him a coward, I have to say. Yeah, it does. It does. I'll give him that. It's natural. It's natural, but if he had reservations, he should have just, you know, done a bunk months ago. Doing it now, it just sucks. It's made a suck. He should have walked. He takes Susan's place as the person who needs to be banned from Hufflepuff. Yes, I will sign off on that. I still don't know why the hell Melinda Leo thinks she's able That's to do that. You Hufflepuffs are so mean. So you're saying and that he's going to take part in a suicide mission? He's not loyal. He has one job. He has one job. Be loyal. Yes. You're loyal for until that. You got you Hufflepuffs are so mean sometimes. Hey, hey, excuse me. I'm a Ravenclaw, not a Hufflepuff. I'm the one who chucked Zachariah Smith out because I can. I don't know how, but Melinda will back me up. I'm sure of it. I know. If we're if we're kicking Susan out for making Harry feel happy, then we need to kick him. <laughs> I mean, look, like I said, I, I have absolutely no problem with how the author wrote it, but they speak. Okay. You me, are you saying okay? Didn't you say again? Ryan. Didn't... That might be losing you. Sure here. I sure one. Uh. Smith leaves and then Colin pursues him. And like slashes his tires, beats his car, <laughs> like his caves in the windshield of the car. That's what I'm saying. Or Flips him off. The guy alone, he's not betraying you. Bad. Yes, because Colin has only lost his mother, his father, his brother is mute. He lost his left hand. And <laughs> blood. He you know what gets me about what Smith says? He's like, basically, he is just like rolling over. He's like, look, we can't do anything. Just leave it to Harry. He's like, got no loyalty for Harry whatsoever. None for Cedric. He's just like, oh, it's, it's Harry's job. So you know, we'll just take him back who off now. Zachary like, what? Smith is go to any newspaper in the country and have any you know mildly controversial news article click on the comments and you'll see immediately show up the laziest stupidest people on the planet with no jobs you know no education living in mommy's basements just absolute you know just Mentally handicapped people who have access to computers posting stupid responses that are highly offensive. Like, the, the, the scum of the earth comments, you know, in the first five comments of any major news article in, in you know, major newspapers throughout the country online. One of them is Zachariah Smith. He's that guy. <laughs> He's the warmest, lowest form of life on earth. He's that guy. That's who Zachariah Smith is. You know what the best thing is about that line where they're looking for Ginny's spit, right? Going back to Ginny's spit, we've chucked Zacharias out. That's you know when um, they're mocking Michael about having a pair of Ginny's knickers saved, and <laughs> this earned him an unspeakably filthy glare. <laughs> and I'm like, he's glared at him. Oh no, what's going to happen? It's a memory charm. <laughs> he can't remember where they are. <laughs> I just had to say that because I'm just like, every, it's like a filthy glances, glares, significant looks. <laughs> They're all just like memory charm. 
And he was so not in on our joke. And there were so many of them. It's a significant glance. I'm just never going to outlive it. It's okay. So okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, Hans Belson. Pardon? Hans Belson. What I pictured in my mind. Was the dude from A Princess Bride? No. Oh, what? No. Oh. I'm a bit what confused I because I think I have not. You know, it, it's the part with the, the cigarettes and the lemon drops. It, it's the part with, with what is the Book of Morgan Fay. I'm like, who the heck are you talking about? Oh. Hans Belson <laughs> is the, he's the special guest lecturer that Snape hires. To come ah, in and. Oh, is that his uh, yeah. name? Okay, yep, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, yep. I pictured this alien from Star Trek Voyager, season five, Bliss. He's the guy in the little ship who's like Captain Ahab. No. I'm picturing oh, that no. guy. He was guy. totally the guy from The Princess Bride. It's the. Who? Mowage? He's the Mowage guy? Mowage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. No, the pit, the pit, the pit of despair. The albino. Yeah. The pit of despair. No, I'm picturing the Bliss guy from Voyager Season 5 married to Dr. Strangelove and them having a love child. Oh my god, it is so not sci-fi, it's so Princess Bride. Don't even think about trying to escape. You guys ever seen the movie App People? No. Oh yes, I have, actually. He reminded me of the Nazi guy from App People. Actually, you're right. And actually, App People is... It was a story before it was a movie, and, and the story is much better. Yeah, it's written Stephen by Stephen King. But you know what I'm talking about now, though, right, Jen? Isn't yes, he, I do. Isn't he that guy? Kind of, but he's not quite as old. Well, he's been around since World War II, though, hasn't he? Because he came up under Grindelwald. Was I the only one who was worried he was actually going to be Grindelwald? Yes. <laughs> Wizards live much longer than normal muggles. Well, right, but he still <laughs> has to be at least, like, you know, what, 80-something years old at this point in time. I mean, he's yeah. not a spring chicken anymore. <sighs> He doesn't look middle-aged. Doesn't he look like an old man? Like, he looks like he's, a bit, like, older? I thought he looked like the guy from the Voyager Bliss episode. What the hell do I know? <laughs> well, he has to be, like, he's somewhere between, like, 80 and 100. I out of my head entirely, and I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I just want to point out the fact that Elliot Milton stabs Snape. Yes. Yeah. Because back in episode one, I was saying there's three Death Eaters of the entire school. Why not, during dinner, just for something new to do, on the count of three... Everybody shoot him. <laughs> and it takes the first year to do it. Finally, the guy just stabs him, and Snape is like, he got past all my defenses. He never saw a <laughs> With the I butter knife. there was a shield charm. I don't think he actually did any damage. There was a shield charm around Snape. It was amazing. Oh, his sternum. It's called a sternum. He stabbed him. Well, who had a shield <laughs> him with charm? A butter knife. I must have been reading this so very late at night, because these last chapters, I'm very confused. <laughs> it, was a, it was a raven claw in the great hall with a butter knife. <laughs> 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 I had like, like a butter knife like jammed into Snape's like chest. No, it was. It was the fork from Goblet of the Fire that Hagrid slams down on Flitwick's hands. <laughs> Why does no one remember this? They're at the, they're at the table. Yes, yes, yes. He's talk, talking to Mad Max. He stabs Flitwick in the hand. He's a little goblin guy. Yeah. yeah I know. Okay. Same one. 
Oh, oh, oh. Nev goes nuts and starts talking to soccer balls. Ariana shows up because she can't stand to see him lose his mind so quickly just for lack of food. You skipped the part where Terry Avada Kedavra is Michael to put him out of his misery. I wanted the good joke. Do I keep going? No. Did I kill your joke? Kind of. I actually found Hans Belson to be kind of a scary figure because it sounds like you and Ryan were sort of treating him as like a little bit of a joke. No, he was cr- tremendously scary. It was, was very, scary. very creepy, that guy. That guy was very He's creepy. Like, he, like, cuts a hole open in your belly. It's, like, the size of, like, like an eraser on a pencil. But he, like, yanks out your entire intestine through yeah. it. Yeah. Creepy, creepy! Know who he is. He's shacked up with Grandma from Coven of Echoes. Remember her? <laughs> yes! Yes! And they do it all the time. Like, that's yeah. who he is. Stop it! Next you're going to be telling me they have evil love children. No. <laughs> they're into, no, they're into S&M. <laughs> oh, stop, stop, stop. stop. No, 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 <laughs> they probably would be, too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They beat each other for fun. <laughs> Grandma wears a dominatrix mask. No, stop it, stop it, stop it. You're making me very disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> You love me. Yeah, sometimes. Aww. You know what? When Terry, like, AK'd Michael, I was just like, <gasps> Every time you keep saying that, I keep like, jumping, like, oh my god, who AK'd me? Yeah, but you, <laughs> you, you knew he was going to do it. Just too much. For me. But he intended to, to put him out of his misery, and obviously he can't do it. But you knew he would, because he had that conversation with... I yeah. know, oh. but it was still like, <gasps> the flash of green light is dead, and it's like, you know, my heart stops beating, and I stop breathing until I read the next couple of paragraphs. It's okay, he's still alive, he didn't kill him. <gasps> you know, I... Just like that is the kind of reaction this fic gets from me. It's sort of like <gasps> I very rarely stay up all night reading fan fiction, but this one had me up all night reading it Same here. to get to the next. Because I was like, What's I'm, I'm, I've read ahead for this fic. This is unprecedented. For me. Yeah. Well, then you have the thing too, where you have Michael, um, and obviously he takes the place of Elliot Milton, and Snape captures him, and. He did such an amazing job of getting Elliot out of the school. He had a Patronus apparate to, to break yeah, that was cool. the loophole in the system, which I thought was great. And he finally, um, so Snape has um, Hans over there uh, work him over. And he was so humiliated that he begged for mercy in the Great Hall that he knows he's going to the first DA meeting, and he forces himself up, and he gets dressed, and he forces himself to that meeting. He can't move, but he's going to the damn meeting. I thought that was... And Michael goes to DA meeting, and everybody, there was much, much happiness because he was only mostly dead. Gary <laughs> 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 beat Miracle Max. <laughs> well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. And then Neville gets a Patronus from Gran. I always wondered how the Patronus got into the school. (laughs) Um, I have taken care of my own situation. If they find Dawlish, I believe he will require the attention of a very skilled healer before he is capable of normal speech or spell work again. (laughs) But I am unharmed in exercising my own resources to hide. Your parents knew a great many people who were useful at times like these. Do not concern yourself with me, but know they may be after you next. I do not believe your sadness as a student will protect you much longer. Your friends and your wits will have to suffice. Good luck, Commander. You can picture the little salute. Here I am thinking, though. 
your parents knew a great many people who are useful at times like these. I'm like, could she give him the list? I think he needs the help. <laughs> and then here's the thing, too. Aren't all of his parents' friends dead? Or in the well, order. James and Lily dead. Potter are dead. <laughs> the or- everyone in the order is dead. It's the Weasleys who everyone's looking for. The drunk guy knows where they are. You know, the Weasleys are left and so is shackable but the order is essentially gone how many people were in the order though there, there were i can't i mean moody's dead and but and sirius is dead but otherwise well there's only 300 death eaters and that's like the huge 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 expanded death eaters i mean nypd could take these guys I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's still like a couple of dozen order members like floating maybe they're not like organized but they're probably still floating out around there they're floating in orbit maybe they're dead what order people die besides moody and sirius and Dumbledore. All the little extras. We don't see them die, though, do we? Um, no. You know that photo that Moody shows Harry in Order of the Phoenix? I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the new order, 90%. I mean. Yeah, but Frank and Alice well, don't there? know the new order, so what's that got to yeah, do with it? Well, who's in the order? Sirius dead, Dumbledore dead, Aberforth, we don't know if he's in it, uh, Shackle Bolt, presum- well, he's alive, we know he lives. He lives. Uh, Molly and Arthur. I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, if you assume there's a few dozen members in, like, Order of the Phoenix, uh, in the book Order of the Phoenix, in the Order of the Phoenix... Well, you have Tonks and Remus, they're not dead yet. The only pe- older people we know die are Moody, Sirius, and Dumbledore. Why are we talking about, I'm talking about Order of the, the Phoenix? The story. I thought we were talking about Frank and Alice Longbottom's <laughs> friends. Well, he's trying to say, are there friends in the Order? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that they probably have friends in the Order. Unless she's referring to the Order. I thought it would have been more interesting if she said she had friends. Like at the senior center, they're hiding Gran. (laughs) (laughs) Come for, and they trick them into, like, you know, a rousing game of cribbage. (laughs) But the Order that Frank and Alice knew, in the picture that Moody, I mean, most of them are dead. Like, Emmeline Vance dies before you get to Deathly Hallows, doesn't she? Yes. Half the people in the photo that Moody shows Harry are dead. Moody's dead by then. So the people were Alice and Frank's order that most of them are dead. So what friends do they have left to protect Gran? See, Mungo's people. See? The coma people are going to hide Gran. <laughs> Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> last line of defense. <laughs> I, I like the last line of that chapter, though. This is chapter 18. That's like a voice weak and raw came from the couch. Neville. The wall of Ravenclaw's pardon and Neville Wells and he takes his hand, you know, it's like like, like he's, they're taking his last will and testament. I don't know. And he says, I think Snape may be reconsidering your friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he exerted himself to say that. Hmm. <laughs> I think Neville already knows. <laughs> Snape is not your friend. I don't think you should engage in small talk. You're a little weak. You have no spleen. It's like Spock's brain around here. So then, of course, chapter 19, there is much fighting going on. Goyle... Oh, Goyle rules! I believe it was Goyle punches Neville, and Neville never saw it coming. And what that was, well, Ernie punched a Dementor earlier. Like, that's always what people do. They just punch because you're not expecting it. Maybe Neville should have had his guard up. I don't know. Flitwick has perfectly good memory charms. I think that he taught Justin how to thinks, do them. I love the bit where it's like, are you going to let me pass? And Goyle like pauses for five seconds thinking about the answer. And he goes like, no. Well, the thing with Goyle at this point in the story is he has no idea how to use kitchen utensils. <laughs> 
So they could have used that against... That was the that was a great scene, I love that. They could have used that against him. So, of course, Neville runs and hides. Now, here's my question. This is a little procedural question here. So Neville runs and hides. He's in the room of requirement. And he's starving to death. Yeah. And eventually he gets down and he meets Abe. And I'm calling him Abe because of Curse of the Damned. But he meets Abe and he meets uh, Dumbledore's sister, whose name starts with an A... Abilene? Nope. Ariana? Ariana. Abilene? <laughs> what the hell's Abilene? <laughs> it's over the A, I just guessed. I'm sorry. It's in its... Oh, okay. He gets his food back, he meets Abe, and he has this wonderful little scene where Abe decides he's worth it to help him, whatever. And my question was, okay, Neville's in the room. So Snape is like, huh, we lost Neville. Don't you think you'd maybe follow everybody else? Like yeah, it's like they all meetings. they all managed to over the next few days and weeks get into the rumor requirement, but none of them seem to, aside from Neville himself, be followed. Maybe that's well, that's JKR's fault again. You can't blame that on on Andrew because I'm not blaming on Andrew at all. I just yeah. think it's interesting because you you then you even have the scene where like and after a while I'm thinking I'm like so the guys are hiding in the broom closet and they're leaving the women. Some of whom are pregnant to fend for themselves. <laughs> with only Zachariah Smith to provide testosterone sufficient to, to see out there. And oh, I know why they didn't follow them, because Flitwick has really good memory charms. Mm-hmm. So they've all been memory charmed to not follow any of the students. Like, oh, he was given a significant glance. That's right. And, and Flitwick just wanders around. He's like, oh, memory charm, that memory charm. They're not going to follow any of them, you know. That was Flitwick's role. That's what it was. Maybe Snape saw it to it. No. no Snape would catch him and torch to them in the Great Hall and chain him to the wall and beat him up. And he'll bring back the albino and he'll make them all mostly dead. Well, several weeks later, Ernie <laughs> decides, I think I should get my pregnant wife. So he leaves and goes and gets her. <laughs> and then the men come back and they're marched into the showers by the women because they smell very badly. Because it was a, it was a hovel in a Neanderthal cave. It was the nicest things by far they had to say about it. And our chapters close this evening with Neville realizing that children actually do grow inside. He's <laughs> like, there's a, there's a kid in there. And Susan's like, I know. Neville has a major WTF moment when he realizes Susan actually has a baby in there. Well, then they look at him and they're like, oh, you were raised by old people. people. And he kind of shakes <laughs> yeah. his head. I like this speak. By the time we're ready to fight, she'll even be big enough that you can play with her a bit. Touch her from the outside and make her kick and wiggle back. How do you know all this? Neville asked. <laughs> made me laugh. Good Raising old. animals mostly. You know, it was you not that Neville is like a four-year- <laughs> You can picture Neville as a four-year-old asking Gran for a little sister. <laughs> no one else really thought about Neville as, you know, Tom Hanks from the movie with Talking to the soccer ball. Yeah, he was deserted, <laughs> deserted in ROR. Passed away. No, he, he just came across as, as, um. But he seemed so desperate for food. He came across like Caps Lock Harry. It's been like 24 hours and I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a growing young man. Oh, I'm starving. <laughs> and then, of course, he finds Ab, and he's like the coolest rescue dude. And Ab? He sends booze, Abe. <laughs> I think it's Ab, because if it was Abe, it would have put A-B-E. That's true. Ab, Aberforth is his name, Ab. You know what I think is funny about that? Neville wonders about the artist's reason for the choice of the long, dark, ominous tunnel that Ariana has been painted with. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's like wondering about the portrait choices. She's like, come with me to get food. And he's like, hmm, wonder why they painted it that way. <laughs> That's not what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, what? Why is furniture talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> he's been from hunger is why. He's hallucinating. That's why he'd be talking to the volleyball court. I'm, I'm so hungry. <laughs> now that you've brought it up, I could totally see that. <laughs> oh, it was a volleyball, wasn't it? I'm so hungry. Yeah. It's a volleyball. I will crawl to the other end. I want a buffalo chicken wrap. Mm. <laughs> I didn't have dinner, so you're all making me hungry. Right, <laughs> Why didn't well, you have dinner? Well, because I, I worked from two to eight, and then we podcast at eight thirty. So when am I supposed to have dinner? I had to walk yes. from the work to here. So no well, time. get something on the way. Take a sandwich with you and eat it on the way home. You really need to plan your life better, Mike. Yeah. What can I say? I need a wife. <laughs> To kill your cockroaches or to make your sandwiches. Exactly. <laughs> Honey, we knew that a long time ago. All right, final thought. <laughs> Giggles, you go first. My final thoughts. <laughs> Someone else has to go first. Which giggles did you mean? The one who's giggling at this time. I like this fic so very, 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 very much because I love Neville in it. I love getting inside Neville's head and seeing who he really is and I like how it ex- – what's the word? Um, The characters make them bigger. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You know, like, it's very like, late as we record this. It's not late. I've got no excuse. It's only like half past one in the afternoon well you know like the characters fleshes them all out and makes them real and gives them real personalities i love ernie in this fic and susan and i even like michael corner in this fic and i hate him because he was Ginny's first boyfriend and terry boo terry Boo. Terry, i love terry you know and i love all the characters in this pavati is fantastic and you know colin is just Awesome. I uh, just, it's fan- yes, I'm just gushing now. So she's, she's <laughs> speechless. I am too. Parts of the story are so dark that we didn't want to have the most depressing podcast ever and talk about, you know, death, death, more death, torture, bleeding, small children, death, animals being hit. So we, we didn't want to go that way. So obviously we've been joking around about it tonight, but, uh, it takes all of those extra characters, the characters that we don't know much about and it makes them into very believable very three-dimensional people and it makes their journey mean that much more because these are people we've been reading about for years but we've just never really paid attention to them because they've been the boring extra characters and i think that this entire year shows what was stated in the canon is what happened but something we never stopped to think about so when we get into the story now and we see that Snape really was this brutal, it makes us reconsider, you know, the, the whole Snape is good thing. I think Andrew just did a just tremendous job, you know, with, with Neville and with, you know, just showing people who are planning to die who were so young and doing it so believably. And I know he mirrors the story off of, you know, members of the military who are that age and do think that way because of what they do for a living. So I think it, it just comes across incredibly well. And um, I will say this is probably the best piece of fan fiction I've ever read. It's probably my favorite fic that we've covered on the podcast. So whatever that means. Ooh. It's all her fault. I'm sorry. Right. I would say that one of my favorite characters, and I've said this over and over and over, and if anyone ever wants to quote me, they'll know that I've said it. One of my favorite characters in all of canon is Jenny. So when I read Deathly Hollows, 
I immediately, of course, there was no Jenny in that, which pissed me off, knew that she was there. And I immediately wanted to know what was up with Jenny. So even as I read Deathly Hollows, which I my dog had just died, so it was also very sad. And so I was thinking very morbid thoughts. I kind of wanted to know what was going on at Hogwarts. So I was thinking that possibly, you know, there was crap like this going on at Hogwarts. And then I found this fic, and it actually was what, you know, in my mind is what I thought was going on at Hogwarts. And then it was just so captivating, and it was so wonderful. And then, you know, he draws pictures, too. <laughs> I had fanfic and fan art all wrapped up in one, and it was just like it was just like a big fan art fanfic sandwich. And I was so happy about it, and then I read it, and it made me so warm and fuzzy inside and then it was over and then I felt sad and then I recommended it for the podcast and Ryan liked it and now I'm here I think Jen Chu is in love it's the crack I'm taking it it is the crack and I owe you 425 sorry about that <laughs> seriously dude my, I don't need the 425 my, well I'm saying to you anyway even though I can't use the stamp Mike tell us what you thought of the story and then you can go eat okay well too late now uh are you eating? No, I, no, I meant too late to eat it. It's like twelve ten. You're going to starve yourself. Mike like keeps sleeping even in the morning. Mike keeps no food in his apartment, or at least that's what he used to say. I don't. I have the tracks of the cockroaches. I have a like thing of water and a thing of ginger ale at the moment, and that's about it. Do cockroaches drink? <sighs> uh, can you can you imagine a man with an apartment with no food? It no goes chips? against the natural order of things. No chips. Mike is a freak of nature. <laughs> I just no have fun. a healthy fear of cockroaches is all I have. No, it's you have a pathetic, fear. sniveling little bad fear of cockroaches. Grow a pair. You're a little girl. <laughs> hey, I'm sure I've done plenty of things you'd be scared to do. No what? chocolate. What? No Pop-Tarts. had a baby without pain relief. Uh, I don't I like chocolate or Pop-Tarts anyway. No anyway, bars. Thoughts. Should I do my closing thoughts? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just picturing Keza right now giving birth at the same time that Mike is having his pants bit off by killer attack yeah. dogs. But yes, I faced down a dog with a lawnmower. A pit bull. Oh, my Mike, what did you think of the story? I liked it a lot. I think it's probably in my top five favorite stories easily. I think the author's a genius for writing it. I think Jen's a genius for picking it. I think you can always tell a good author when you have a character where everyone likes him, but one person thinks interprets him one way and the other interprets him, interprets him another way. And I think this fic had that. I think it had great description. It had lots of funny moments. He, he mixes it up very well between the dark scenes and the light scenes. I like a lot seeing characters who don't see so much again, particularly Gran. Um, we'll be touching on, on a few podcasts. I've really enjoyed seeing her and her relationship with Neville. So overall, I'm, I'm a very happy customer and very satisfied. I buy his fic again. I've never heard of closing statement quite like that before i think i think mike is going to invest <laughs> i think so too so on that note uh mike needs to go to bed and we pray that cockroaches do not attack him in his sleep um we would like to thank uh keza for having her children without the use of of you know any pain relief whatsoever i would like to congratulate jen Chu for making it through her first consecutive fic in three weeks without leaving to have sex in the middle of the podcast <laughs> And uh, next week, we are going to come back and cover the final chapters of Year of Darkness. You totally made uh, me sound like a whore. Well, I do apologize for that. Um, apparently, you had the last brownie. Jenny's a um, stately and refined lady. 
I thought he was going to say stately and refined to war. I swear to God, I thought he was going to go there. And we were going to have to, like, Such cancel the book. <laughs> All right. Um, and t- next week, we will discuss the final chapters of Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness. And hopefully next week, you will hear Andrew come on here and try and... He he will make us a professional podcast once again by explaining to us real things about the fic and not our asinine attempt at humor. So with that, have a great night, everybody. Bye. That was a podcast like none other. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Thank you for calling Potterfic Weekly. Headmaster Ryan is currently unavailable as he is making wedding plans. Deputy Headmistress Kesebear is currently visiting 2087. Assistant Deputy Headmistress Scarlet was last seen entering the Quibbler offices one and a half weeks ago. Please leave your concern after the tone, or if you would prefer to stay on the line, Mistress of Magic plus Slytherin will be available to take your call in three hours. Thank you. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting! I just love this part! The peons are coming. Hello everyone, and welcome to PeonCast. I'm Scott. I'm Kayla. I'm Kelly. I'm Sue. And today we are going to be covering a fic called Wisdom to Know the Difference, which comes from the saying. It's set in the same universe as Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, which is what you've just been listening to. Really, we should have been doing this one two weeks ago because it's right after the first three chapters, but you're getting it this week instead. And I have to tell you that I have not, yes, please don't throw rocks, I have not read the Dadeverse yet. The Dadeverse being Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, but I haven't read this yet. I'm with you there, Kelly. Okay, so neither one of us Sorry. has read it yet. Sorry, Dan. Just to summarize for you, in Chapter 3 of Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, Neville and the rest of the army have gone around to all the classrooms and the Great Hall in pairs and carved the names of one of the people who is missing and or dead into the wall. Neville gets caught in the Great Hall, but escapes. And they all kind of think that they've gotten away with it until they come down the next morning for breakfast, and they find Luna... And Hannah. ...in chains. And Snape is going to punish her unless somebody steps forward. So Neville and Ernie step forward, and they get chained to the wall, and they get lashed. And the rule is that you can have 40 lashes... You have to also understand, when that rule was created, that was not uncommon. You saw that on shipboard. How was it not, like, taken off the rule? I don't know, but I'm sure Filch probably has it, like, engraved in in a gold frame. At any rate, Ernie and Neville have both been lashed, and that is where this fic picks up. We start out... I thought this is interesting. We have a little bit of a background of Minerva. She saw her father... The face of her husband when he kissed her goodbye on his way to the airfield. And then the face of her old school rival, Tom Riddle. The face of her best friend, that would be Dumbledore, telling her of the order and asking her to join. And then Harry. So I thought that was really interesting. All these things that she remembers at 84 years old. I thought that was cool. I have Mm -hmm. a quick question, though. 
I didn't realize Minerva had gone to school with Tom Riddle, because wouldn't that make her the same age as Hagrid? Like, was that part of canon? Mm. Or, because wasn't this written right after Deathly Hallows? I'll be able to tell you in a minute after I open up the timeline. And then another question, too, kind of along these lines of discussion. In the books and everything, when Hagrid's talking about Voldemort, does he know that he's Tom Riddle, or has he never made the connection or realized that? I don't know. I don't think there's ever been anything in the books, and I know I've had that question for a year or two. I think they did know. I think anybody that Dumbledore came in contact with in that way, as a teacher or whatever, would know that Tom Riddle was Voldemort. Okay. Um, according to the official timeline, that is not the same one that Dan may be using. I'm not sure. Minerva was born in the 20s. If you want to set it from Dan Fiction's timeline, 1997, if she was 84, she would have been born, extrapolate back for me, 1913? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So he sets her back another 10 years. According okay. to the official timeline, Minerva McGonagall was born in the 20s on October the 4th. So she'd be 70-something um, rather than 80. Minerva McGonagall begins at Hogwarts. Exact year is unknown. JKR said that she is 70 in one of the interviews, so she may have been at school for at least some of Voldemort's years. Okay. We're way on course. So as Kelly mentioned, Minerva's thinking about the different faces of people that she'll never forget, and now she knows that she's adding another. And as she lives 20, 30, or 40 more years even, Neville Longbottom's face would be as clear then as it is now. Less than an hour since she'd seen it pressed against the unforgiving stone, contorted in cries he had refused to grant sound, increasingly pale beneath the splatters of crimson. He had taken the flogging with all the courage that could have been asked of a man, but when the first strike had lashed across his bared shoulders, his eyes had flown open in shock, and she had seen in them... The instant when his innocence broke. Yep. That was a very powerful line. sentence. Kelly had mentioned, like, we haven't read it yet and stuff, but after reading this part now, I really would like to hopefully find some time in the near future to read this, because kind of upsetting, and I couldn't even imagine. This story in particular is full of a lot of powerful moments like that, but yeah. the entire novel-length story is as well. There are a lot of good moments that way. I really feel for her here because there is absolutely nothing she can do because Mm -hmm. she has to tread such a fine line so that she's not removed from what she's doing. Right. And it's kind of like being a pebble in a fast-flowing stream. And the Mm -hmm. pebble is wedged in where it can go. But if you move it or if you disturb it, it's going to be tumbled down in the current. But the thing is, you get enough pebbles, you're going to slow the current. She's trying to be a pebble. Mm-hmm. The only thing she can do for him in that moment is not look away, which yeah. is the last thing she really wants to be doing. But Well, yeah, because she needs him to know that I am saying nothing because I'm trying to be supportive of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when your hands are tied like this, you can't. If you open your mouth, you're going to have two people in the stocks instead of one. Right. Yeah. There's a sacrifice there. And Neville knew that sacrifice when he spoke up for Luna. He did. He knew exactly. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he manned up and he did it with purpose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the absolute worst feelings in the world to 
be witness to something like that or to someone being in pain and having absolutely no power to do anything about it. Well, and it's it not hurts so, me more too watching those people and knowing you can't help them. It's not so much that you don't have the wherewithal. Yeah, it's, just not, it's just that if you open your mouth, you're going to get the same. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to cause what's happening to be worse. Worse, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now she has to write a note to Neville's grandmother, who has been her friend for years and years and years. But that she was has a nice to. Touch, I thought. Yeah. That they know each other really well, and she knew Neville as Aggie's grandson for years before he ever showed up at Hogwarts. And mm-hmm. you know, the thing that gets me is this line that she writes: "I regret to inform you," and it's like, is he dead? That I was something I noticed on rereading it for this podcast. The paragraph right before that, she has to be writing something that is harsh enough that the people who intercepted it, probably the Caros, will let it go. Mm-hmm. but still managed to convey to Mrs. Longbottom how proud she is of Neville for doing right. that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I regret to inform you. It was like, oh, my. That's I kind of ominous. It is. Like, and if you haven't read the main story and you're just reading this part, mm-hmm. you could wonder, mm-hmm. you know, if he I was did wondering. die. You read further down and no, he's not, but still it was, mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah. And just at that moment, of course... Enter Seamus. He bursts in the door, and the first thing he does is swear at her. Right. And she jumps to her feet and has her wand pointed at the door because all she hears is the door crashing open. Mm -hmm. And she's within seconds of having launched a hex at him before she realizes who it is. Mm -hmm. And she's absolutely amazed at herself that her reflexes are still as sharp as they are. Good thing Umbridge's stunners didn't get her too bad. And here's Seamus, and he's not only swearing at her, but he's calling her a coward. I love her line, though. She waits first for him to calm down, which doesn't really work, but she also calms down a little bit. And she Mm -hmm. says, Putting aside the matter of your vulgar language for the moment, Mr. Finnegan, that is a very serious accusation. I wonder who the three students are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious about that. No one's said so far. There have been guesses that two of them were James and Sirius, but... Yeah. Can't save for sure. I wonder if Harry was one of them as well. Well, I don't know, though. He's been known to be cowed by her before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think as he got older, he got less cowed. I have a feeling that Sirius is probably one of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'm sure Maybe Ginny or Lily, just because, you know, they've always been described as having that. I don't know. Not against against Minerva. No. Yeah. Hard to say. In the 54 years as head of Gryffindor House, there had only been three students on whom that tone had no effect, and she was mildly surprised to see that now she needed to add a fourth. <laughs> he is extremely upset at her because she didn't do anything. Yes. You Incredibly left him down there, and he's so frustrated that he can't talk. That's when you yeah. know they're really angry. Oh, yeah. When you can't even form a sentence, yeah. So I have a question, since I haven't read this fic, and I'm coming in as a newbie on it. I'm guessing that Van is coloring Snape as evil, because if he thought of the flogging, oh my. You can argue that he let Mr. Filch flog them rather than let the Caros use dark magic on them. Okay. But mostly, yes, Van is of the opinion that Snape is not at all fond of any of them, and this isn't just some act to keep his place. He never was a nice man. Etc. Etc. Just seemed so much more harsh than I had ever imagined from canon. Like knew they had been through some rough stuff, but this just seemed 
This is sort of More than a I gamble can even on yeah. Snape's part. He's coming down really hard on the first instance of outright rebellion, hoping that that will crush everything else, and he won't have to deal with anything further. Unfortunately for him, it kind of backfires. Right, so. it draws them together. And there is some discussion on the main podcast about whether or not he's doing this in order to give them the incentive to draw together. Oh, well, that makes sense. If you're thinking of him on the good side, yeah. then the people that are on that camp are saying he did this in order to draw them together, to make them stronger, really draw them into a core group and turn them loose on the school. Okay. So he's furious at her and she kind of looks at him and says, what would you have had me do? And that stops him. Well, after he says, she should have fought back. I would have, but Ginny took my wand, picked my pocket. I and, love that uh, part. I love that, too. That was, I am so glad. I, yeah. Ginny is so smart. She knew he was going to, oh, boy. She's a very smart girl. Yes, she is. She knows boys very well. <laughs> and then what would you suppose would happen then? And then he's gone down this path of righteousness with the torches and the pitchforks, and then he realizes that he doesn't have a plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He knows that they could take out Snape and the Caros and probably Filch because, well, first of all, he thinks she could take them all out just by herself because she's that awesome. <laughs> yes. But then he says, well, uh, there are more of us, you know, we, we could, but he has nothing beyond that point. She says, surely you don't imagine that those three are the only Death Eaters Voldemort has. Right. Actually, this point was brought up by Ryan in the first podcast on the subject where he said, okay, the Hufflepuffs, you're all going to take out Snape, and the Gryffindors are taking out Carol number one, and the Ravenclaws are going to take out Carol number two, and people are saying, um, but Ryan, what about Voldemort? You know, oh, right. he's going to send somebody else. Yeah. Especially since Voldemort insisted that every pureblood attend Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm surprised there's just three. I'm surprised that they didn't replace the entire teaching staff. I Yeah, that that's a good point. I remember thinking that, too. And I'm surprised they didn't turn it into, a, like, prison. I guess it's the whole, you have one hour. You have one hour. <laughs> At this point, smart. they're still trying to act within the constraints of society. Like, they have thickness as a puppet minister, and they're yeah. running everything. But they're still... So he's down the path with the torches and the pitchforks, and she's like, okay, mm -hmm. now what do you want to do? And he's like, um, <laughs> play it yeah. as it goes, I guess. And she says, you don't know, because you haven't thought that far ahead. Mm -hmm. And he's and that, like, but it's not right. Yeah, I know it's not right. And this is where that point that you were talking about, replacing all the teachers, uh -huh. gets mentioned. The reason she's not doing anything is so she won't be dismissed because she and Professor Flitwick and Professor Sprout, their academic credentials are too good. They can't just fire them with no reason. Right. They have seniority. Mm -hmm. We cannot simply be dismissed without reason. And as long as we do not give a reason, we remain the last barrier that prevents the Death Eaters from overseeing you directly every moment, which is like, whoa. I mean, because if you think about it, you're talking about the three heads of house. Right. Yeah. McGonagall, Sprout, and Flitwick. Hello. I wonder who's head of house for Slytherin. Slughorn. Slughorn. Oh, yes, that's right. There's another one of the 
Actually, a challenge that someone gave Andrew was to write a drabble about Slytherins as angels of mercy. And he has Slughorn come up, and Slughorn can't stand them being seen as the house that ran away, so they get assigned to be the nurses. Oh. Neville's a bit skeptical, but Slughorn tries. (laughs) Well, you know, I kind of feel sorry for him, because he is... He has no real power either at this point. No, he doesn't. And I think he knows that. In fact, weren't the Death Eaters trying to recruit him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why he was hiding in the first chapter of Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, that's just why he was, you know, they want me, and I don't want to be with them. And now here he is, surrounded at Hogwarts by mm-hmm. everybody. So, he yeah, I'm sure he's I... just trying to stay under his rock. Mm-hmm. And I definitely sympathize with Slughorn after seeing him in the Half-Blood Prince movie. Like, in the book, I was kind of like, hmm... You know, I just kind of saw him as one-sided, but in the movie, I really like how Jim Broadbent played him. Kind of mm-hmm. like seeing different sides to his character and being able to imagine him that way, and it definitely puts it a lot more into your perspective. Well, when we first knew that Broadbent was going to be playing Slughorn, everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, yeah. this is going to be so bad. They're going to play him like a fool, and mm-hmm. he wasn't. Yeah, you're just able to feel for his character more. He always kind of grossed me out in the books, but in the movie, I definitely like him like that. I don't know. Fairly shortly after reading them, I sort of saw him as, I think I was influenced by some other things that I read. He is an example of Slytherin as it was before Tom Riddle. Yeah. Because the Slytherins were the politicians. They were the ones behind the scenes. They were the old boys club who did all the networking. This is how Slytherin ran. You were there on ambition. You were there to get ahead in the ranks of things. You weren't Mm -hmm. there necessarily to be killing and torturing. You just made me see them in a whole new light. I've never looked at it that way before. And I think it's just because in the books, I've seen Slytherins as bad people, and they're always more malice and everything. Wow, that's a really good point. <laughs> that's how we started out, though. Yeah. I mean, look at Hagrid. Ain't never dark wizard come out of any other house but Slytherin. Yeah. But that's a neat way of looking at it, yeah. But anyway, yeah. now he's bringing up the what if Neville is not okay. Yeah. Because it was so completely terrible watching that. Strips of skin hanging off and blood everywhere. How can anyone possibly survive that? Right. And that's when she goes on to tell him about the arcane law. Several hundred years ago, flogging was considered a commonplace punishment for severe infractions. And even at Hogwarts, it was permissible to have a student beaten, not to exceed 40 strokes with a common livestock whip. It's brutal, yes, but it's survivable. And possibly what the Caros were going to do with them or to them might not have been survivable. No. If they crusoed them, they could have crusoed them to insanity, just like his parents. Right. But if you do something physically, physical can be fixed. Yeah. Emotional, yeah, you're going to have to deal with that because it's part of the physical. But you get into the psychological, you can't fix that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I really like the way the author had put this one line where Seamus was talking about how badly tore up he was. It's like some of the skin hanging off like crepe streamers, ma'am. And I'd swear on me mom's honor, I saw the bare bone of Ernie's shoulder blade for the blood behind it. And, I mean, that really paints a picture in my mind yeah. of, I mean, wow. <laughs> well, you also have to remember that your shoulder blades are probably yeah, they're a lot closer. They're so much closer to the skin than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have a whole lot of muscle over that. So, yeah, I can see them. 
And of course, Minerva's sitting there going, yes, thanks, I didn't really need to think about that. But Right, it's yeah, hard enough. I thought it was interesting that he says, how could you stay so calm? And she tells him, if I were younger, I wouldn't be able to. And here mm-hmm. she has scars from Coventry. Yeah, I'm not sure what that refers to. Coventry refers to the Blitzkrieg. Wait, so her injuries are from a, from a bombing? A bomb? Yeah, from World War II. That's- yeah hit her arm or I guess the debris or whatever. She yeah. was in there trying to cast spells and protect someone or right. heal someone okay. or something and didn't notice that the flames oh, were close right. enough that her well, yeah, robe they, or whatever caught on fire. So she had to leave it instead of... She was on fire herself. Hiding it or healing right. it, yeah. Right. Because she probably would have been able to heal that, but she... She didn't even notice. She would have kept she that was, as a reminder. I don't or know. Because like, I guess Charlie has scars from the dragons, never mind. Yeah. Burns never healed cleanly. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. It's possible, probably with wizarding medicine and such, if you caught it quickly enough, you could, or depending on the degree of burn and things like that. But But if she's in an area that she's surrounded by muggles, she's not going to have access to healers. They're going to patch her up just like a muggle, and she'll have scars Mm -hmm. from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So at the time, did she know she was a witch then? Yeah. Or, okay. Uh, Probably. Mm -hmm. She was older than 11, so. Coventry was 39, and she would have been... 10 or 11 years old. Or if she really is 84, she'd probably be in her 20s. She would have been in her 20s, right. Something I don't think we mentioned that I liked was when he first said, if you're keeping your position to do something for us, then what are you doing? She mentions that she could have turned him in for burning the name into her classroom because she knows what his handwriting looks like. Mm -hmm. And Justin Finch Fletchley has the same F in it that Finnegan does. And this was a bit from... I can't remember for sure if it was earlier in the third chapter or if it comes up in the fourth chapter, but she walks in on Neville and Parvati, I think, in the dorm and mentions to him, oh, by the way, next time you send someone out to do various things, having just had a whole conversation in which she's giving him alibis for everything and not acknowledging anything of the sort, do notice that Justin Fitch Fletchley hyphenates his name. I had to add that myself. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't clue into that when I was reading it. Well, yeah, he has a problem with hyphenation, and he also mm. has a problem with the fact that your writing of your own initials yeah. is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. And she's been looking at his papers for six years. Six years. So she knows. Right. But yeah. she didn't tell Snape. And Snape should have known, because Snape's been looking at the papers for that long, too. Ah, that's a good point. I do know that when Neville did it, he switched wand hands. So he went from one hand to the other hand so that it would mess up his writing a little bit. Smart so that it wouldn't be as noticeable. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That line. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just remembered. I have something to tell you. <laughs> I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. Oh, there's something I want to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm completely oh, on that Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I know that movie, but I don't know it that well. I just know everyone likes it. <laughs> but anyway, she shows him her scars from Coventry that, yes, she has been a woman of action before. She is a Gryffindor for a reason. And he's finally calmed down, and he just asks her, Does it get any easier when you get older? Does this burning feeling that he has, that he has to do something or nothing's worth anything, does that go away? And she says, no, but you do learn to control it. Mm -hmm. It is mine to use, not theirs to turn against me. Right. And he asks, and will you use it? And she looks at him and says, 
when the time is right, Severus will have great many things to answer for. Yeah, I can think of 40. She says, <laughs> myself, I'm up to 80. <laughs> it's like 40 Ooh. each. Ouch. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. list is likely to get longer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But you'll have time to improve both your arithmetic and your self-control. <laughs> and detention with me. Like, wow. right. That's definitely keeping uh, up with McGonagall. Yeah. This author seems to know her well. Yeah, so they've had this nice moment, and they're having rapport and respect for each other, and then she says, oh, by the way, you have two weeks of detention. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, but see, that's also, a, that can also be used well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about this. He now understands that he can count on her. And I think you can use the time in detention as long as Snape isn't monitoring. You know, mm-hmm. sedition comes from many, many things. So. Yeah, they can use it for that. Or even if they're not going to use it for that, it's getting him out of the line of fire. Yes. While he's spending those two Saturdays in her office, he's not off getting into trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. And it may be that this is how I'm going to help you learn your self-control. Yeah. I don't think you should be that upset about it personally. Well, it mm-hmm. depends on how bad devil is when they get him back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Oh. To find that out, you have to read chapter four. No, I got to read chapter one. Well, yeah. <laughs> I really do. I really just need to find some time. Go listen to them, Kayla, because the audio is oh, great. Can I? Oh, right. That'll be way easier. Yeah. You can we listen have to the three first chapters, three chapters at least. Yeah. And you will recognize at least one yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. Wait, who? Scott? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like that when she tells him about the detention. She looks at him and says, I expect you to make a far less dramatic entrance. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, then, you don't treat McGonagall like that and get away with it. No. no. You don't come in and call her what you called her. And He did really well not getting hexed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're reestablishing the distance, I guess. She needs to keep some semblance of her authority so they don't just all go off entirely. Mm-hmm. Especially him. So he's turning and about to leave, and she clears her throat and turns him back and says, You may be surprised how a mere refusal to be driven away can, in fact, be doing a great deal. Yeah. And that's the end. Like I said, it's like the pebble in the stream. Mm-hmm. That was deep, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> I like that analogy. That's the word I was looking for before when you were talking about that, the analogy. That's a great analogy. I liked mm-hmm. it very much. Too. What's the line? The longest journey is started with a single step. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I like yeah. the fact that he has gone back and added one shots to different parts of the mm-hmm. original story. And it's not just him. There's other people that are writing stories to it now as well. Oh, no way. This was only published the third week of August. So are you serious? He's, wow. Yeah, he's been or wait, this adding is August things or in like, as we go. Yeah. August 2009, yeah. August 2009. Oh, wow. August 20th. Like this one shot or the, the yeah. whole thing? Yeah. Oh, just the one shot. one shot. Oh, I was like, yeah. wow. The whole thing like, has been going for years now. Yeah, it's like yeah. three or four years old. Okay. Because he's on the third book of it, and we're only covering the first book. I'm assuming, since you are listening to these podcasts, that you've probably read Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness. But if you haven't, I encourage you to go do it and to listen to the audio, because it's awesome as well. And I really like this. I like this snapshot of this particular moment because it was a really poignant moment. I think he did a great job with McGonagall and Mm -hmm. Seamus. They're two characters. You wouldn't necessarily look at them and think, oh, yes, they're so similar. But Mm -hmm. really they are Mm -hmm. when you get through to the end of this. Seamus is what McGonagall was 30 years ago. Or longer. 
Well, yeah, a bit yeah, longer. Than more that, like but. 60 years ago, <laughs> 70 years ago, because he is 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is her 70 years ago, mm-hmm. 65 yeah. years ago. Something. But yes, I thought this was a good example of his one shots that he does. And a number of other people, as Sue said, have done stories as well that are just as good. Most of them have more spoilers than this one does. So that's one reason this got to be the pick. Yeah, because I'm not spoiled. Yay! Although <laughs> Am I, I kind spoiled? Of, you're not spoiled either. Okay. Well, I kind of like this. I think I've said it a few times now. I really can't wait to get some time to read this because it seems really well written and everyone seems to be enjoying it very much. So, Well, hopefully we've inspired you a little bit. And if any of you who are listening also haven't read Year of Darkness, you should go out and do that because it is a very good fic. Mm-hmm. I personally haven't read the second and third books because they apparently get a lot darker having yes. left school. So I'm not sure if I'm personally ready for that, but they are also reputed to be very good and very well done. Yes, I can say that at least the second one is. I recently finished it. Okay. I think that'd be hard because I know fan fiction is everyone's playground and everything. But sometimes it's hard not to get emotionally involved with the characters. <laughs> you have to remind mm-hmm. yourself, like, you know. You know, I don't have a problem with that. No. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that we can see that Andrew's stories have done so well for his first ever fan fiction that he wrote. Mm-hmm. He said to people who ask how he manages it, that he's not making stuff up and writing it. He is reporting on characters that are real to him. He has mm-hmm. seen their lives mm-hmm. in his head. He's right. just passing it on for us. That's he has crazy. very clear pictures of who everyone is and what they look like and all that sort of thing. Right. So is he, like, writing his own stories before this? I mean, before Harry Potter? Like, is he a big creative writer and everything? Or I'm not sure, actually. I don't know. Like, is it possible just to pick up writing like that? And, well, I guess some people are just good storytellers, too. Maybe that's it. Well, I give this two thumbs up. Well, the <laughs> it's very two thumbs up from Kayla. Yay! Two thumbs up from Sue. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this one. It was well-written. It was very powerful. It had a lot of impact, which a lot of his stories do. And it was just a really nice window into what the characters were doing, because the main story itself doesn't follow much of anybody except for Neville at that point, understandably Mm -hmm. enough. But for any of them to be watching that, there must have been a lot of reaction like this. Seamus is one that I can definitely see having to have his wand stolen and be restrained from charging right up there and trying to take the castle down. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. because he's, you know, that's... So Seamus. Mm-hmm. The very first scene of the first chapter is Seamus starting something in Muggle Studies. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know about that because we did that as a master pick. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the master pick scene. I got to be Seamus for a while, but then I think Brian's computer died, so I don't know whatever happened with the second version of that. So, that's it for this week, and next week we should have another Daedverse story of some kind. We haven't quite decided which one yet. You'll have to come back and find out. And then, I believe after that, the coverage on the main podcast will be done, so we'll be moving on to some other things. I hope you will continue listening to our show, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. But for now, we are Peoncast, signing off. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye.